Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, pop culture, and current events. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host V. The NBA Finals are here. College football is back. The NFL is back. Mamba mentality for life. I'm excited for this show. Today is October 1st, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We're still social distancing due to the pandemic, but we're going to figure out a way to bring you a show at all costs. Today is a jam-packed show. We have two guests. One is Mick, formerly known as Mick Boogie, a world-renowned DJ, entrepreneur, investor, just an all-around badass. And we also are joined by Coach Zach Smith of Minister Sports, who's going to talk some college football with us. And finally, we'll hit some news and notes. I'm talking about the NBA, NFL, Trump, and, uh, you know, we got to talk about that fantasy football showdown. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays, a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast don't forget to grab some wristbands and face masks at shop.pilotboys.com and be sure to leave us a five-star rating and comment on apple let's go where the pilot boys at you're listening to the pilot boys podcast we are joined by a very special guest I don't even know where to start with this guy, man. Uh, we originally met him as a DJ, uh, but now he's turned into much more than that. He's obviously an entrepreneur, uh, investor, podcast host, formerly known as Mick Boogie, now known as Mick. Mick, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, man. Guys, okay. it's great to see you. Good to see you, man. Hope you're holding up well during this pandemic. It's fun. <laughs> Yo, your your story is amazing, man, and and one that, it's for the it's literally for the history books as far as music is concerned uh just kind of how you've navigated this this business uh from beginning to end um what you've kind of contributed to the to the culture as well uh legendary pieces of work that i mean literally legendary things that will go down in history um uh, and then also how you kind of transformed um along the way and and kind of recreated and reinvented yourself a couple of different times and all of them have been very successful. So we're very excited about this interview yeah, um, I mean, we're, and we're going to start from the beginning. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I think, I think we, we start at Youngstown and I think as to, to kind of follow what Mecca was saying is I think the term brand gets thrown around a lot, right? Like everyone says I'm in branding or I brand or I'm a marketer, but I think your story really showcases what brand development is over a long window of time. It's not something you just say. Super you long window, very long. <laughs> very <Yeah. laughs> long. So, and it started in, in a place that a lot of dreams, probably people don't think start in a little town, actually in suburban young, not even Youngstown, yeah, yeah, yeah. suburban Youngstown, Poland, Ohio. Poland, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. So kind of tell us how you even first got into music and what your first exposure was to it, because I'm sure hip hop wasn't necessarily a big part of the culture in Poland. No, Poland. It didn't exist, obviously. Like my first, I had records when I was in kindergarten. I remember that, I couldn't read yet. And I remember <laughs> my mom wrote an M on one of the records, so I knew what side to play of the song I liked. It was a mm. kind of record, it was um, 
Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. It's like a classic country record that I haven't listened to in like 20 or 30 years. I'm sure it's about, I'm sure it's racist and anti-feminist and all that <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect. So it's not like, let's not play it, but you know, I, I don't know. But that, so that was my first record. And I distinctively remember walking around and I know this was kindergarten or before because of the, my, my cat's eventually going to like be scratching on the door. Um, I still got the same cat guys from like Cleveland. He's still alive. Wow. Young Ho, he's 17. Oh. Um, so he'll make an appearance at some point. Uh, and so anyways, I had these, uh, these records I used to carry around and it was, so it was definitely an early age that I fell in love with music. And I remember moving to a new house for elementary school, first to fifth grade. And I remember, um, hearing hip hop for the first time. So I used to hear, I, I remember hearing LL, I need love. I remember hearing Fresh Prince, Prince, Just Don't Understand, which was like the first song I memorized. And my sister and I used to walk around the house rapping it. The first <laughs> cassette I ever bought, I always show this on podcasts, but I actually keep it in my drawer. It's, uh, the, the, uh where's the camera? Yeah. Yeah. Why can't I do this? It's like a mirror. It's crazy. Anyways, um, that, that album, and that was, I still have it to this day and um, inspired me to learn more. And then in sixth grade, I moved again to a different neighborhood. And at that point, I was like starting to travel back and forth to Florida to visit my grandparents. And my grandparents had, they lived in Naples, Florida, which was like the whitest of the white Florida towns ever. I'm quite sure it's super Trumpy, but for some reason they had BET. Yeah. And we didn't have it where I lived in, in Youngstown. So for one month out of the year, I actually got to, um, I'm, I watched Young TV Raps religiously, but like that was once a week or maybe and, you know, and then it became the weekday show. But having access to watching like BT and like learning everything for like one month out of the year was like game changing for me uh, through middle school. And at that point, then hip hop started becoming more mainstream, both from a proverbial hammer vanilla ice standpoint, which was like a gateway entry for a lot of people, but also like a level or two below that, like, Tribe and Black Sheep and Cypress Hill and Beastie Boys and all that was bubbling above the underground, but below the hammer level. So yeah. I sort of get to that level of like understanding the culture from like a truly paying respect perspective. Um, then once I was in high school, hip hop completely blew up with Wu Tang and Biggie and The Chronic yeah. and all that stuff. So then at that point, it was easy for me to like um, acquire magazines and books and, and this is all pre-internet and, and, and yeah. albums and but I remember distinctively being the kid that would never want to go and get like the same to go go to the mall and get like the cassette single I would want to go either get the CD single because it had bonus tracks and remixes or I would drive somewhere and have them order me the import cassette single that had the other tracks that didn't make like the album because I always wanted to have like the song that nobody had the version nobody had. I didn't know what DJing was. I didn't know that that was essentially what DJing is. Yeah. You know, more so was, but still is in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, so all of that kind of informed me. And then uh, when I went to college, I became a DJ for real. And all of those experiences, my cat's at the door. All, all those experiences made me um, want to be a DJ. And then I moved to Cleveland, where I met you guys, and um, became a, I'm a real DJ. It just opened. Oh, just got my yeah. Ask the question. I'm sure people are very excited. So my cat. <laughs> Uh, you, you can still hear us. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what were at that point in time? What was it that made you actually decide that you wanted to be a DJ versus just be a music head or a music lover? What is it that made you feel like, okay, you know, this is this is where I feel like I want to make my mark in, in this space? Um, it was a few things. So I um just as a music, I grew up playing instruments. I grew up playing drums and pianos. So mm -hmm. it was very uh, 
the DJing aspect of hip hop culture was the one that appealed to me. Like I can't draw, I can't rap, I can't dance. So like DJing was pretty much what I was left with anyways. Mm-hmm. Natural extension of me as a musician. Right. Um, I loved like hearing like Jazzy Jeff. I loved hearing like Pete Rock remixes and all of these things. So I was kind of gravitated towards that. I distinctively remember the episodes of Young TV Raps that made the biggest impact on me were the ones that have had special guest DJs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and not knowing anything about the culture at the time, but knowing I just loved the music. So it all kind of just informed me. And then when I went to college, I couldn't bring drums because, that, you know, I'd be a dick. Right. <laughs> so I just, I got turntables. So I had a Jordan rookie card, uh, which wasn't in mint condition, but it was, a, it was good enough to sell. And I got like 600 bucks for it and flipped that into some used turntables. And uh, it got stolen a few years later. But whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, shout out to, uh, what was that place in Cleveland? Um, Odeon? Or something? No, I don't know. Anyways, uh, <laughs> back parking lot ripped out. And I stole speakers from my car. Everything was crazy. Disaster. Uh, but, you know, anyways, that I moved there and I was like, I could do this. And so I distinctively, just to add one little more part of that about like how you can kind of like manifest the shit that you want, shit that you want I remember when I went on college tours, I toured every college in Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And then I went, when I toured at John Carroll, which is where I ended up going, I saw the radio station and I was able to look in the window and it was like this dark hallway, but the window was illuminated. It wasn't like some colleges where the radio station's like in a different building or it's like it's on top floor of uh, something, you know, you would never see it. And like, like uh, there were many colleges that they're like that. It was a seven mm-hmm. Little house like Case Western's like that. It's like a little house somewhere. Like John Carroll's radio station was right outside the gym and right outside the cafeteria. You had to walk by that motherfucker every day. So Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa. That's the only thing I remember from that tour was like there were turntables, there were crates and crates and walls of vinyl, and there were people like talking. And I was just like, this excites me. So Mm -hmm. I remember telling my mom, like, this is we're good. We're good. We're good. We could we could just like we could wrap this shit right here. Like we're and use those words. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, use those words. And you also decided to get your MBA, um, and you know, like you know, student by day, kind of DJ. By yeah, day. I stayed getting my MBA at John Carroll so I can keep doing my show. Actually, yeah. which is like that's how much I loved because um, that show gave me my career, and that show that show gave me the ability to get on commercial radio, do clubs, build my brand, do all that stuff. And so I literally think it's funny, like. DJing led me to where I did my education and then where I did my education ended up extending so I could keep DJing. And so it's, it's just like a really weird, you know, conclusion of events, but I, but I love it. And why the NBA? Um, two reasons. One, I needed to stall a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I needed to stall and figure out what I wanted to do. Actually, three reasons. Two, I was like I was a pretty smart dude at the time. Like now it's a little, a little sus, but like I, I wanted to like take advantage of that. Well, like, well I could, and, um, you know, cause I, I had opportunity to do it. And then three, um, I wanted to like kind of future proof myself a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you have any sense of how much that was actually going to help you in terms of branding yourself? Was there a moment that you realized, Hey, this MBA is is not just something to pass time or buy time. This is something that's actually valuable to to me. In addition to, you know, my talent as a DJ. Years later, yeah. years later, like during 
during the show, I'm assuming the show, I'm sorry, during the, um, the, the NBA, no, you know, it was just, I was ridiculed for getting my NBA while I was being a DJ. Like, yeah. DJs didn't understand why I was doing that shit. School kids didn't understand why I was DJing. Nobody mm-hmm. knew me in their group. I was like, this is 02, 03, 04. Yeah. You know, I, I was, people did not, it, they did not want me in their group. Like, yeah. I didn't work for a progressive selling insurance. So I wasn't working at like, you know, whatever, you know, Goodyear, whatever the fuck is out there. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, I turned out fine. And I would, and I remember the teacher, and I tell the story a zillion times, but I remember the teacher was like, you got to choose creativity or you got to choose yeah. like business. Like, you can't do, it. it drives me nuts. I can't align with this mic. It's like a fun house. Um, but you see both hands, right? Like, it drove me nuts. And I thought, and I went back there a couple years ago to speak to, to the students in the marketing department. And I told that story and I don't remember the teacher who, um, ah. yeah, thank God. But like, I could see the teachers in the back of the room start to like recoil a little oh, and I went into that story, but it's very true. But you know, again, this is 2003. It's a different time. The internet was still new. Hip hop was not a global force to the, it was, but it's not like it is now. It was Ohio. It wasn't like NYU, like Clive Davis. Like, you know, there are, there are, there are constraints that they were just, accepted constraints now they don't tell them that anyways they, uh, what's what's really cool to see actually is that there's a um i don't know his exact title but there's a he's like the dean of entrepreneurship or something there now a uh, really good guy named dome and he's the guy that brought me back there and he allows kids to literally follow their dreams and let the mba in order the college stuff come second as long as you're doing the work yeah so cool so like there was a girl that i met who I've stayed in touch with, who uh, worked on a book, and they made that her book. It was a real book, part of her curriculum. And there was a yeah. kid in a band. And he, his, the teacher let him do a marketing study on his band mm-hmm. as part of his curriculum. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? where was this? Right. That's <laughs> actually it's funny because that's actually why I chose Case for my MBA because they actually had an entrepreneurship program, and I went through some of those same same challenges you went through, obviously while in Cleveland, people not understanding what I did for a living and why I was getting my MBA. But I do think, you know, I think in all these fields, I think DJing and I'd say DJing and like small business owners like barbers, they give a great case study on what it actually takes to run a business, right? And actually build something from the ground up, build your brand, learn how to make money from it, perfect your craft and continue to, to work. It's, it seems like it's not a business, but it is the people who are successful. And then we see it today. I was never the best DJ in Cleveland, hands down, as far as a technical standpoint or skill standpoint, never, never. I was the smartest. Yep. Mm. Like, Mm. you know, both from what I was born with and also what I chose to like put into myself. There were so many people better than me. Yeah. So when you talk about like, it's funny because when you talk about entertainment and like, you know, making it and all that type of stuff, people always want to know what your kind of big break is, right? Or bro- big break was. But the interesting thing is, I, I don't know if we, people like us view it that same way, right? Because the answer you, what you just said to me seems like, say again? I'm still waiting for my big break. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the answer really is, 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 is you, you know, you were yeah. your big break. Your brain was your big break. That's what. It seems like was what separated you and what was always going to separate you in this business. Yeah, yeah I, I hope so. I mean, that's the stuff I try to instill upon my kid, you know, like mm-hmm. 
just be smart as fuck and be a good person and trust that the rest of the shit's going to work out. But was there anything, I guess, you know, because people do want to know this, was there anything specific that happened that made that may, maybe made you say, okay, this is going to work out for me. This is going to be a career for me. Um, you know, this is something that I should c continue to pursue and, and not give up on. Yeah. I mean, one was actually the fact that I paid for grad school using DJ. Mm. That was huge. And that was Cleveland DJ, right? That wasn't yeah. like stuff I moved to New York and eventually got to bed a DJ where it was like, like really decent money, you know, able to survive in New York money. Right. So, you know, I was living, my expenses were super low also. So it was, it was pretty easy in that regard. Like I was single with no kids. I was living in Cleveland Heights. My rent was six, 700 a month max. Mm, right. my, my overhaul overhead monthly was probably like, I don't know, less than $1,500. Oh, those days were the best, man. Those days were amazing. <laughs> my health insurance, no. But so, you know, you do a couple of nights a week, four nights, you know, four weeks out of the year. And I had it, you know, I didn't, I was like, this is great. Like I could get this MBA with debt. And when I finished it, I was like, oh, okay, like I got it. I, 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 that showed me that my career path was like pretty legit to me. You could take something that's like, it was almost like funneling money, right? Like though I paid taxes, but it was just like, you know, like you, you always talk to people, about like we have like a barbershop, like front other stuff and all that. Like for me, I was like, wait, I could turn this whole thing that you said wasn't a real thing teacher but i'm fucking paying your salary with it right. you know what i mean like i'm right. like now like i'm taking out a loan like i'm paying it now so like that was a huge thing for me to be able to do that so that was the point this was 2005 15 years ago i started to take it more serious as a business because uh then i didn't it was, you know that time commitment of that was done so now i had more time so yeah. like, what am i going to do and that was right around the time where i had a marketing pedigree i had a really strong local brand. So then I started thinking like, what do I need to do? What are the steps, what I need to do, the relationships I need to make to get from here to whatever the next phase is gonna be. And I knew the next phase for me was probably ultimately gonna end up New York. Uh, as you guys know, until you guys had your New York phase and, and all of that as, as well. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just like, how do I do that? And so it was just like, what are the biggest things in Cleveland I can attach myself to? Well, okay the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I want to do all their parties. Uh, what are the biggest brands of Cleveland? I want to make sure I'm working with all of them. Whenever anything comes to Cleveland for anything that's like national, I want to DJ that. And then of course, the whole Cavs and LeBron thing. And I was able to integrate myself into that system too. You yeah. a fucking pitch deck. Like I made them a pitch. I wish I had it. Like it was horrible. Like I made them a deck, like a PDF. Not, yeah. not PDF. It was like a PowerPoint. Like you should like fly in, you know, like from the sides and all that. Like, and um, I got the Cavs gig. And I think it paid me like $200 a game, maybe. Like it was really bad money. It was good money for Cleveland in DJ terms. For uh, for that, it was really bad money, but it didn't matter because I was just like, now I have access to the Pepsi people, the Coke people, the Gatorade people, the whatever people. So I would use it as a lead, like a loss leader to be like, okay, cool. You're at this game, great. You like the music, great. By the way, I'm doing this party tonight. You should come. And then they would come, they would see me in my real element because I wasn't doing shit at the game. I was just playing the same 10 songs every single game. It was like, whatever. But then you'd come see me after in my element, right? And um, you'd be like, oh, this is really fun, you know? And then so the next day I'd have like lunch or, or breakfast with these people before they left town. And then that kind of built the web. And then you do that enough times and you have enough of a web to uh, get to the bigger city. And, then, yeah. and, and the uh, another aspect of like, what you were at the forefront of was an important era in hip hop, right? The, the mixtape mm -hmm. mixtape era. 
take us into that because I think that's also a critical way. You, We know how you've built some of your sports and brand relationships through the Cavs gig, but at the same time you were building hip-hop industry connections in a place like Cleveland yeah. through doing mixtapes and through your radio show. Theory, dude. It was the same theory. Um, so you remember uh, where I lived in Cleveland above the house mm-hmm. of blues. I lived like in that, that apartment. And yeah. it's like, uh, it was awesome because it was right downtown. And it was right on like, at the time, one of the only two streets that had restaurants. Yeah. And now it's like four streets. That yeah. And um, I was on the radio every night. I did a nine o'clock mix on the radio. It had a bunch. I had a bunch of DJ hustles at the time, and and so whenever the label reps would come to town, they would want um, me to play the artist songs on the, on my show because I had a, a free reign to be able to play whatever I wanted during those twenty minutes versus like what you would normally hear on the radio all day. Uh, I haven't listened to the radio in like a decade, but like I assume it's probably the same. Like you just you're very hand you know handcuffed, and so I'd be like, cool, like I, I'll, I'll play I'll play your song or whatever. Uh, no, you don't have to pay me any money because we're like live on air right now. But like, no, there's no money ever changed hands. But what, <laughs> what you can do, but what you can do is two things. Like, like you, you want, you want. They always wanted to do these like meet and greets with with the DJs, and I would. So I got to the point where I finally pulled rank on it, and I was like, cool. We can only do that if we do it at, at the House of Blues restaurant, or we could do it at this Italian restaurant that was like another block away. And because uh, I was just like, it was so many of them, and I just didn't want to have to like, I was travel and, and do. I, it, it, no, I would have if it was like a not. But I mean, we're talking like the the. I mean, the, the fifth member of the Saint Lunatics, like you know. <laughs> right? so, so I was like, how do I just go fucking downstairs and eat these chicken fingers and, and, and chill out? But what what I started doing was like having people come back up and record freestyles. Yeah, because you're already in the building. And we did it at the um, at the radio station too. So I would say, no problem, man. I'll play your record. I'll do whatever you want, right? Like, but all I need from you is to just record me something. It could be a verse you already did that I had the acapella. It could be a new verse that's coming out. It could be whatever. And you know, when all most of these guys lived in New York or LA, they had to do this all the time. For every every DJ, every station in Cleveland, I was with me and Joey. Joey Fingers were the only two people doing that at the time, and we share we shared everything. Yeah. So uh, they didn't have to come to Cleveland and do a hundred of these things. They got to come to Cleveland, chill out, eat some House of Blues <laughs> food, hang out, and and then just every, then we just needed. They only needed a rap for forty five seconds. Like it was a no brainer. It wasn't like imagine yeah. going to Hot ninety seven. You'd be like, well, you got to get in for the three morning guys, and then the afternoon guy, and then right. ten of them, and then the overnight. Like nah, it was just me. So. I was able to leverage all of that to get that. So then I was sitting there with folders and folders and folders of, of, of songs and files that nobody had. Yeah. So I started putting that together in a unique way, not, not on my own, like me and Joey uh, Terry Irvin did a lot too. The yeah. There was a lot of, there was a big scene. Lead crew. That I kind of like, you know, shepherded together at, at that time and everybody made each other better. And, and, and we put together these things and, and they were able to catch on first regionally and then they caught on in New York and we would come to New York and see him on Canal Street and see him at all these places like you know if there was an Amadou selling mixtapes he needed to have mine like that's <laughs> like that was my let's go and um, and it worked and then the internet mixtape thing happened right around the same time like a couple years after that uh, which was great and that uh, and then 
you know, but, but I, what I didn't realize was that I was running another business. I, was, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't look at that as marketing and product development and acquiring assets and all, all of these things. And that's really what that all was, right? Mm -hmm. There were relationships to like get, um, you know, intellectual property that nobody had. Like, I mean, the whole, the whole, you can, you can break this whole thing down as a case study. Yeah. I just like really fat and wanted to eat chicken fingers. So I was just like, <laughs> really great. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so that happened too. And then when it went online, that enabled me to go from the guy selling the stuff in, in cities to the guy selling stuff everywhere. And then of course the money all went away in mixtapes and it wasn't about selling anymore, it was just about exposure and awareness, which, so while that took away like a huge chunk of money, it opened up the world and um, it was great. Let's talk about, we talked about, um, you yeah. know, being the Cavs DJ and obviously that time, that time period in Cleveland. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the LeBron James effect also in, in terms of, in terms of your brand and how you were building your brand. You, you mentioned, um, you know, how you would have other relationships as a result or develop other relationships with Pepsi or other sponsors. Talk a little bit about the kind of the LeBron James effect in Cleveland, specifically as it pertains to your career. Um, I mean, it was super, it was a halo effect, you know, not just for my career, but really like, I mean, you know, when you read those articles, when an athlete leaves town and they're just like the deli went out of business by the arena or this drive there in, your, in the apartment building across from Madison square or went out like, you know, because an athlete left, right. Like, it's real. Yeah. Uh, it's highly real. And, and you know, and, and the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And mm -hmm. so like, when, when somebody like that's there and you could, you could, uh, create a real like synergy with, with them it's a it's a, it, you know it lifts all the ties and so for me i was able to like do a lot of those parties and develop that relationship and um it helped it helped tremendously you know yeah but i put myself in a, i don't I, I i say that to say you got to put yourself in that position to do it mm -hmm. like, nobody they didn't just pluck me yeah like I, 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 like I had to like you know I had to put in all the dues to even be considered to be able to be a part of that. And I was never even in the inner circle at all. I was in the yeah. outer circle, yeah. but I was in the outer circle enough that I was respected enough to do occasional things in the inner circle and, 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 and vice versa. And so it worked out. It worked out. I think, you know, I think at that time also it was fortuitous, right? Because all of a sudden people that were never in Cleveland, you were usually DJing the parties and, and, and I saw this in, in Mecca also when he came in from New York, when we had events, all of a sudden in a place like Cleveland, you're being exposed to people that you would only meet in New York and LA. And that never happened before that. Right. Like, and I think that also allowed us to think beyond Cleveland and all of us, when LeBron left, I think I left around the same time you left around the same time. It was like the, you have to have the market has to have the conditions that are conducive for you to be successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you put Bill Gates in the middle of the desert, like what's what you know, without the internet, like it's not gonna happen. Like, you know, I mean it'd probably be maybe it would have probably better odds than us, but like you have to have the right environment in order for that to happen. Yeah. Well another question I have to, I have to ask and and you're a thoughtful person, so I think I'm I'm interested in this answer, is how race affected your career. Uh, and both positively and negatively, I, I assume that there was doors that probably were closed as a result of that, but also doors that yeah, were yeah, to open, open. It was talk a little bit about that. Both, and I'm grateful for both sides of that because 
it uh, informed me of how I want to just choose to like live my life as a citizen of the planet, not as a you know a person who views things one way or the other. And it also has really informed a lot for how I raised my my son, who was mixed race. So I you know I, I feel more equipped to raise him than the average white dad, which isn't knocking any other white dads. It's just yeah. You know, I statistically I bet on me more than that simply because of like the relationships and the friends and the you know whatever I can't ever answer for my kid. Like he got a million like uncles he could call at any moment who can yeah. right? right. He's lucky in that regard, uh, and, and and I'm lucky in that regard. I'm highly blessed in that regard. Um, so growing up, uh, to answer your question more directly, I distinctively know for a fact that I was able to be like the first person playing uh, hip hop on West Six, which was where, where all like there were yeah. The upscale clubs were quote unquote because um because of race you know yeah. I mean it probably wasn't a hundred percent because of race because but it was just like it was pretty close I mean there were it, if I wasn't the first I was like one of the first there was a couple other people but like I was one of the first to do it to the point where it, it got there and and I remember taking a lot of flack from that you know but I didn't know like what was I supposed to do like not do it like you know. Open up so many other people of all of all races so like it was obviously like the right thing to do we got it yeah the doors had to open it somehow i was grateful to be the one to open the doors and then the doors open for everybody um you know that's happened probably time and time again over the course of my career in a lot of ways yeah well that was going on there was also the interesting undercurrent at the time of being a white person in hip-hop when it was very different and mm -hmm. there was no eminem there was, mm -hmm. no, there was there was like there was there was just like there wasn't it wasn't like it was now where it's almost looked at as a, the, the, you know, the tanning of America or whatever, right? Like I remember, I distinctively remember uh, selling mixtapes at a place. I don't remember the name of the place in, um, on St. Clair, like straight, like 99 St. Clair, like bone, bone dogs land. Yeah. And going across the bridge to Bratnall, yeah. you know, and it was a lot of rich people live. for people who are familiar with Cleveland. It was literally like, like a, a castle and a moat, you know, it was, it was just like, it was two completely polar universes, like 50 yards away connected by a bridge. And, and, and so I remember like going over there and the cops pulled me over there because they saw me hand in a baggie of mixtapes. Cause I, I, there were people they didn't want, some people didn't want the cases. They just wanted to put them in like little sleeves and keep them in the, uh, in their case to sell. So they would I, would, I gave him like a baggie, literally a plastic baggie of like 50 mixtapes and then the covers. So it probably looked a little suspect, I guess. But I remember distinctively like, you know, it, it was wild. Like I got like searched, like the car got searched and, you know, up against the cop car and all that. And of course, I'm white, so they like, let me go. Like, mm -hmm. like it, then, then the story went the way the story always <laughs> But it was fascinating for me. To get to get pulled over for that because a first of all I wasn't doing anything wrong. Second, it gave me a micro like a like a iota of a microcosm of what you know Mecca you probably just go through to this day. Mm -hmm. God willing, my son won't go through, but he may. Yeah, and, and you know, so it was really it was great to go through that because it gave me a taste, a teaser of of, of what what reality really is, mm -hmm. and, and and so you know. I mean, at the time, I was just thinking, "What the fuck get me off of this cover?" Like when I looked back on it, like like six months later, I was just like, "Yeah, like 
it was it was super super eye opening. And then yeah. also like the other aspect of that was like I had to work ten times harder to pay my dues at that time. <laughs> Nowadays, it does I don't think I don't think in in hip hop you don't have to. I don't think paying your dues based on race. Is, is really an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. It probably kind of, but it's not like it was like in the, the late nineties. I can't right. imagine what it was like in the early nineties. So like, if I wanted to do this, like I had to be, you know, I said, I, w- I definitely wasn't the best DJ, but I'm still good. You know, like yeah. way this could have happened if I was bad. I had to right. make sure that I knew I wasn't a culture vulture, but I had to make sure that, you know, all my, all my T's were crossed and my eyes were dotted. Yeah, I would never, I had so much love for the, the, the culture that I didn't ever want that to be misrepresented anyway by happenstance or by sheer whatever. Yeah. You know, and so what did I learn from that? I learned to work even harder, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that I had to pay extra dues and work extra hard in order to earn my stripes made me a better DJ and it made yeah. me a better business person and it made me a better member of, of the culture. So it made me who I am. So yeah. it's, it's kind of funny. It's like trial by fire. Yeah. Mm. that's 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 heavy there mm-hmm. um so in terms of where you were at let's go back to kind of the timeline you're in cleveland and i always like to talk about ambition right for a lot of people being the king of their city which you essentially were you were making money you were booked all the time you had a high profile but you always wanted more and you wanted to go to new york why was the ambition to go to New York. Why was it bigger? Why wasn't that enough for you? Um, I mean, why not? Right. Yeah. That's what you go. Like yeah. if you wanted to do something in music, you had to go to New York or LA. New York was the Mecca of hip hop. New York was also an hour and 15 minute flight from Cleveland, 55 minutes from Pittsburgh. Like, you know, it was just, it was easy. Yeah. You could drive it if you had to. You know, all, all the labels that I worked with, all the people were there. Um, it was it just it was a no brainer to me. But I think yeah, and I think yours was was intentional, right? Like you had a plan sure. yeah. versus a lot of people just saying, Hey, I need to go to New York or LA and just move there and figure it out from there. It seemed like you actually had a plan. And can you talk about the importance of that in your career is you're forward thinking. You don't live in the moment. You kind of think about what am I going to do next year or two years from now often. How important has that been and how valuable do you think that is for anyone? In- cat rubbing his head on the computer and it's like moving the, the, the camera. I'm going to tilt it back up. You can, you can get down. You can get down. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a plan, you need a plan for everything within reason, right? Like I'm a big believer in having a plan without having a plan. Like I think you need to have like, benchmarks and I think you need to have like strategy and goals, but I don't think you need to have a roadmap, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to have it, you know, one A, one B, one C, one D, you know, like when those teachers would be like, you have to write your paper and they would, some kids would come in with the whole outline. Like I was never, like I never, I was never that person because you have to allow the, the luck and the, and the ability of happenstance to happen. And you have to allow for life to course correct itself. And you never know what's really going to happen. My plan was that I had an MBA. So if shit hit the fan, like I could just go get a job. That was yeah. my plan. Like my plan was like, I'm good. Like somehow. Yeah. You know, would I, would I be creatively fulfilled? Mm, maybe not. Uh, maybe. 
but maybe not. Will I be economically okay in order to survive? Like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, worst case, I just come home. Like, worst case, I come home, I could, bro, worst case, I come home and I could just DJ or go get a normal, regular job like in, 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 in Cleveland doing whatever it is that I need to do. And but I, didn't, I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I knew, I knew it was going to work some way, some, you know, some shape or form. And, you know, as far as like a master plan, it was just like, I don't think I even knew, like, I moved to New York for DJing strictly to DJ, right? I moved yeah. to New York strictly to DJ, not like DJ and be an entrepreneur or DJ and do all these other things or, and I, I wanted to just do clubs and do like hot shit. I didn't want, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know about events. I didn't know about yeah. traveling, you know? I moved to New York to be in New York. I didn't move to New York to fly away every weekend, but that's yeah. what I realized New York allowed me to do. It gave me a platform to be everywhere else. So now, I believe this is still true in a lot of ways for um, my industry. Like I know this whole work from home thing has freed up 99% of industries to do whatever it is that you do. But I still believe that, you know, I needed to be here. People were always like, there got to a point where I was on a plane two, three days a week, four days a week. And people are like, well, why do you need to live in New York to do that? And I'm like, but for me, it's that person that you meet in the elevator when you're going up the building or it's like, you know, going to that, yep. that one dinner or, yeah. or, you know, even for me, it's been like the other parents I met in my kids' preschool, you know, like my biggest opportunity this year came from a guy whose kid was in the same preschool class as my son. Yep. And, yeah. and, and, but we didn't know each other, but, you know, relationships on top of relationships on top of relationships they, my, the deck of the agency presenting me as a, as a collaborator to this brand came across his desk. And because I'm a, like, I'm a dad first and foremost, before I'm even a human, like my mm-hmm. kid is so prevalent in everything that it is that I do that my kid pictures were in, um, in the deck because like it was, a, it was a social campaign. Right. And if you spend one second looking at my social stuff, you could see like how you know prominent my parenting is to me. Mm-hmm. He was like, I know that kid. That's Miles. He's like, oh shit. He was in this class with what I, I forget the name of his, his, his child. And um, that isn't the only reason I got that gig. Yeah. But but that's what sealed the deal. And so I think a lot about how life works in that way. And I could have never planned that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? And it likely wasn't going to happen in Cleveland either, right? So. Nah, it wasn't. I, I, for me, it wasn't. You yeah. know. For some people, it could have, and for a lot of people, it has, and we all know, mm-hmm. and we know them, and that's great. I knew for me, though, it just was not. So right. at that point, too, and, and it seems as though your brand kind of, around this time is when your brand kind of started to transition from, you know, obviously the clubs and the mixtapes to now kind of being a brand DJ, and then also dropping the Mick Boogie and, and becoming Mick. Yeah. What, 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 what was it that made those things kind of happen for you at that time? Um. Well, I started thinking of myself as a business person, as an entrepreneur. The whole MBA thing kind of came back full circle to me. I've always managed my own life. So I was just like, I started realizing I spent 40, 50 hours a week on my life, not counting the DJing. That was getting grueling. So I might as well own it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, bitching about it. So I started thinking of myself in that regard. And that led to me doing um, things like this where I get to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Once I, I mean, I just remember like, hey, the name was pigeonholing just in general, anyways. Secondly, I yeah. laughed at on a panel. So I was talking about all these like important people, like, and and they all had like names, like real names, and then they introduced me as like, and it took me back to that moment in college where like the teacher gave me that talk, 
about like I'm not going to do be creative or that, that thing because I was in front of the class that conversation that teacher said to me back then and I was like oh shit okay we gotta we gotta change this mm. so I've always hated the word DJ anyways because mm-hmm. it seemed like pigeonholing and then I was like oh but I have my name and my name is like unique you know it's not as unique as you, you guys names but like <laughs> like you, you know you're not like your, like your rap name but like your your, your real name it's like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's but and, and I never met a Biswan in my life so. <laughs> to this day so like you know you, you could you you could have really capitalized on this v you could have <laughs> thanks for your advice man that's that's a million dollars worth of game at this at this one on instagram yeah. uh but I, I wonder who has that who has it have you ever tried to get it what my email everything i'm able to get everything like yeah, you, yeah. i'm able to get everything with my name i'm not sure if there's anyone in the world with their name spelled like mine is you have, the, you have one word you have the one name ig yeah nice Nice. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I just was like, let's just re re reflip this. I did it in all caps to make it like a brand versus like because the other problem is because of the um my name uh not having a uh what's the word am I looking for? Not having a uh foreign or fancy or 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 high level kind of like connotation. Like if my name was like Francois. Like, mm-hmm. like I could have just rocked with the lower cap, lowercase, right? Like, mm-hmm. but Mick, it just becomes like you know, it was just I had it by capitalizing it made it more of a brand, yeah. Versus a versus a um, name, name, yeah. And I was lucky too that it was short. You know, it was four letters. Again, if it was just like you know, Consuela, <laughs> Consuela. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, so then now you, you, you know, obviously you said at this point in time, you know, well, first of all, you never really wanted to just be viewed as a DJ. And then at, at, at this point in time in particular, I think you started to realize the value of other things, right? Beyond, beyond just music and, and what that network could do for other things in your life. And then also, like you said, it brought it back full circle with the NBA. And then you started looking at investing. Um, and that was, you know, that was very interesting to me. I remember watching that happen. Never really got a chance to talk to you about it, um, but I it it seemed as though that was happening around the same time that I started to hear about a lot of other people in music getting an invest. Not a lot, but some other people like Chameleonaire and Nas, and maybe maybe this was a little bit before Nas. Um, why did that make so, start making so much sense to you, and why did that become of interest to you as well? Well, I again I had a marketing background, right, so I understood the concepts of it very well, or at least well enough. Um, and I had a lot of relationships. So then I started placing myself in these situations where I am, I didn't want to be a DJ at a DJ dinner. And I didn't want to be a DJ at a music industry dinner. I'd done that for, at this point, 15 years. I wanted to be the, the DJ at the business dinner, right? Or, or the, um, the creative guy at the non-creative dinner. And so I started putting myself in these different worlds where you know, I was never going to be the coolest DJ. I was never going to be the most fashionable dude during fashion week. I was never going to be the most Hollywood dude during a Hollywood party. Like, like you know, I'm just who I am. Like, I'm an Ohio yeah. dude that lives in Brooklyn, and I'm a dad. And it's kind of like I'm kind of in many ways. Like, I mean, I've changed a lot, but in a lot of ways, I'm, like, still the same person. And yeah. so, um, you know, for better or for worse. And, and, and so I had to figure out what my strengths were. And so if I could put myself in rooms – where I could be the coolest person, and I don't no, literally mean the coolest person, but like if mm-hmm. I can rooms where I stand out and I can add value 
be having a different creative perspective and, ha- and also having a job that people now, now the job I had was interesting to people. Yeah. Years prior, the job I had to people was like the plague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 2013, 2014, 2015, you know, the whole EDM shit was happening on that. Now DJing is cool. Yep. Right. So everybody wants to talk to DJs. Everybody's kids a DJ. Everybody wants to like, mm-hmm. everybody wants this and socials blooming. So people can see people's personalities and all that. So I was able to like leverage all of that to be like, Oh, we know this guy, he's a DJ, but not just that, but he can sit at a table and have a conversation and blah, blah, blah. And so I was able to use the fact that I, I tell all my friends that are like, the smart that that are really smart brand away DJs and, and I tell all my other friends that are like they work for themselves that are um they have a, a, a product that you could sell with you whether you're uh, I mean I mean you reference it kind of back in the day with like the barbershop example but like in a more like super business forward project you know perspective like I tell my friends that are like on the cusp chefs you know people that people if you have a, a a skill where you can serve the public but that skill you like you have an untapped ability to go into rooms and add value, right? Because yeah. if, if, if I'm at a dinner table, dinner party and you're at a dinner party and you're at a dinner party, right? And you work for, I'm making this up, if you work for uh, uh, IBM and you work for Apple and um, the, somebody at the dinner party is looking for like a tech client, I mean, obviously, weddings, those are good and bad examples because they're amazing companies. But like, you, you know, let's say you work for like the next whatever, right? And you're just like, Oh yeah, and by the way, if you guys are ever ever need uh, you know microprocessors for your backline system, you know check out V or check out Mecca. Like you know, yeah. they're gonna be like, cool, great, thanks for the card, and then throw that shit out, right? But yeah. with my job, right, my job was is actually cool. So mm-hmm. they're gonna be like, oh, when we when you need a DJ, they're gonna call, they're gonna remember me from, mm-hmm. or they're gonna know somebody or their friends or their cousin or and they and they'll remember me from that, and because. I have such a fun job and I have a job where people actually want to hire like joy. I was getting all of that referral business from being in that. So that was, I was adding value to them. They were adding value to me. And I was beginning to build these relationships like that. Mm-hmm. I, know, I think I, I don't know if I explained that right, but yeah, like, you did, you did, you did, you did. I'm not selling a product, right? Like, you know, you, know, you get like those LinkedIn emails, like, I just like, Hey, like, you just delete them, delete them, delete them. Like I'm not selling a product. Like, right. Yeah, my product is me. So I wanted to get into two things, right? Like in the culture we live in, anything that people see is cool and is attached. Like, for example, the fact that Nas was part of the Ring Doorbell investment initially, it becomes cooler now, right? It's obviously still a great business, but now it's cooler. But there's another side to entrepreneurship, venture capital, and the startup community I think a lot of people lose in the glory of it all, right? Because you are putting money at risk. And one of the things I learned always is when you're investing in things like that, it shouldn't necessarily be your primary source of income. An investment should yeah, not be your, your, your prime. But for you, it's like you were trading, you were able to trade the equity you had as a DJ for equity in some of these brands. You were able to trade that and make people see that as value for their brands too. Yeah. Now, now I can. I couldn't at the beginning. Yeah. Now I'm now I'm trying to do deals where it's at minimum like 50-50, right? Yeah. You know, especially yeah. now with this pandemic. Like I'm like, you know, DJ's a wrap right now. Like I'm not sitting here making any money right now. Like I'm just yeah. 
like at all. So it's just like, you know, but, but, but it opened my eyes to like other value I can add to people where there's not, you know, money crossing, you know, you know, what's the word, like exchanging hands right now. Like there's tons of other things of value that I, that I can offer people. Mm -hmm. and here made me sit down and really realize that. And it's all stuff that actually I thought I was doing already. Actually, I was doing already, but I wasn't figuring out how to make that work for me. But now I'm like, there's a fee to that. And whether yeah. that fee is money or that fee is equity or that fee is relationships or whatever it is, like, like, yeah, you're going to get, you get both sides now. Cause I have, mm -hmm. I have the ability now to, to help in that regard. And I, I didn't realize at the time that that's a valuable currency. Yep. Right. And now you've also gotten into podcasting, you know, yes. which I think is, is right. fantastic. Years yeah. Right. Podcasts are popping up all, all over the place, but you know, there, there's, there's value in uh, in someone like you, particularly who has the extensive experience and knowledge you have, but then also the relationships. Talk a little bit ab about that. What what made you get into it, and, and what's the focus for you there? Well, I mean, it's something I've always wanted to do. I never had the time to do it um, at all, and now it's a world slowed down. I do have the time, and I actually, um, you know, I mean, I was told I, I invested in Anchor, which Spotify bought a couple years ago, and. They were always just like they. And they basically became Spotify's podcast division. And it was like, "Yo, what are you doing? Like, when are you going to do this?" And I'm just like, "Well, maybe when I'm not like a DJ or a dad or like you know was, was going through some personal shit as well." And I'm just like, "One day, one day, one day." And then finally this summer, I'm just like, "Oh, okay, I got I got the time." So you know, finding a great team of people to like help you know I, you know make that a reality. You know, we're three episodes in right now. Um, you know, we have a whole first season recorded. We already got you know guests clamoring for season two, which will be really exciting. Um, we'll, we'll see. You know, I'm I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm measured in my expectations. Yeah. I don't want to do anything unless it's excellent, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I need this to go excellently, and I need this to go at a certain level of high standards, of which I expect because. This is my show. It's my name. It's literally the show is my name. So yeah. if this doesn't go well, then it's my it's my name. It's not mm -hmm. anybody else's shit. So like I'm just very, 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 very involved with, with it, you know, to make sure that it goes well. And it will. What's the what's the focus or the focal point? The focal point, um, well, there's actually no focal point, but they're right. kind, of, fine, yeah. kind of like a focal point. Um my theory and thesis in life is that we are all like creatives and yeah. regardless of whether or not you're told you're creative uh, or, or whether or not you think you're creative, like we all have aspects of creativity, right? And so that doesn't matter if you're a DJ, an athlete, a CEO, you know, a sports anchor, a chef, like, and I always felt like it kind of goes back to like what I told you about my grad school story, right? About like, you can't be creative and you can't be a business success at the same time. Then you extrapolate that into like corporate America. And then think about you, you go into these companies and you have, I tell this story all the time. So I feel like it's like repetitive, but I don't know if you've ever heard it. You go into a lot of these companies and it's changing now, but you would walk into a company and imagine you go and you see like the accountants and the HR and all these people. And they're all in these little, shitty cubicles with no windows and they're using fucking windows computers that barely work and, and you know it's just like the bad coffee machines and all of that shit right <laughs> and then you go to like to the floor with the creatives yeah and they got the windows and the foosball table and the fucking <laughs> open kitchen and the max right? yeah, yeah it's like it's like silicon valley shit 
Yeah. And then, like, you know, if the other, if the HR people weren't creative enough to fucking hire you, you wouldn't have that job. And so I kind of, that made me think a lot, like your how does that affect your psyche? How does that affect your subconscious, you know, ability to, to work creatively within whatever it is that your job is. Imagine if you told a heart surgeon he wasn't creative when you're about to die and you have 13 seconds left and this motherfucker has to pick a vein. Like, you know, you, you yeah. gotta figure that shit out. That, that, that's creativity, right? Yeah. And so my thesis is that we all are creatives and I wanna share the creativity, creativity secrets, not just from those that we look at as creatives, which are, mm-hmm. and you know, but also business people and authors and, and sports people and like you know let's talk so, about that well and of course we talk about their stories and we talk about music and we talk it's fun it's a very freewheeling conversation yeah. but my, my thesis is that like especially now we are all multi-hyphenates if you're not you're probably fucked mm-hmm. yeah. even if you are even if you are the most non-creative boring job ever you probably do have a side hustle that's creative yeah. or you have a passion that's creative right it doesn't have to be this it's because you know like Five years ago, creativity was what like self care was like last year, and then in three years it'll be like another thing. It's like a curate and all these we have these buzzwords, and yeah. and it's just like now it's just it's just what we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look at how you're born. You're born through like procreation. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. you have something fun. It's like rec- recreation, which is like yeah. recreation. Like creativity is the root of literally everything. So let's. Mm-hmm. let's yeah, I know. I know we're. I know we're really excited for you. I know we're really excited for you, and um, I think it makes a lot of sense. We talk a lot about brand, and yeah. it makes sense for who you are and what you represent to put Thank it together through a format like a podcast. So, but one more question before we get a couple fun things and get you out of here. I know you're busy. Um, the pandemic, right? And it yeah. circling back to what you said at the end about being multi hyphenate. There are two ways I think people can approach this, this pandemic, right? It's the simple acronym, fear everything and run or face everything and rise. And I think what we're seeing from you and other people is you are using this time to say what's next. You're not thinking about, oh, well, I lost all this money that I was making as a DJ. These are the circumstances that we have now. How do we adjust and pivot to make sure when this thing is over, we're in a position to reap or reap the reward. I wanted you to kind of take that, take into that, talk about that, especially as a DJ, the live Instagram DJing and, and things that you're doing to keep yourself going during these times. Well, I could tell you that the first half of the pandemic, I was pretty like fucked up. What was me? You yeah. know, what am I going to do? DJing, blah, blah, blah. Like, like, you know, and, um, Live entertainment was hit harder than almost every other industry, except yeah. for maybe like, you know, food. But that's that's come back. But what hasn't really come back, at least in the major cities, is is live entertainment, especially the level of stuff I do. So I was living in the woe is me, I need to make this come back mind state. And it started to drive me nuts when I would like look on like Instagram or just like look at and see other people out there like living their lives, not just from like a like I have friends that make more money now than they ever made. Yeah, you know, I have friends that are getting hired left and right. I mean, I know somebody; she has three job interviews every week, and I'm sitting there like getting still getting cancels. Like now, now, now we're canceling like you know January. I just watched the cancels happen and happen and happen. And 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 so my reality was 
literally a whole new version of cancel culture and everybody not everybody but a lot of other people in reality was not right yeah. it, 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 and again it, I, I know some people who are like they're, they're very smart they're very creative so they're able to put themselves in these situations but i had to realize that my mindset was limiting what i'm able to do during this downtime right and so i, I well i stopped looking at it as a negative I mean, it still is a negative like a zillion ways. Obviously, you can't get to wear a mask. You say, well, like, but there's so many positives. Like, hey, first and foremost, I get to be like the most present for my son ever. And I was always super present anyways. Now I'm literally like wildly present. Like it's like yeah. insane. And like that will go away next year. Not like the, the, the love and the heart and like the, the ability when we're together, but it's not going to be like it is this year where like daddy's just here all day, all the time. That's, yeah. so, that's a gift, right? That's a gift. And so... Once I, I had a, a accept and acknowledge and love that because that's amazing. Secondly, like I had to realize like I had the world's back. I changed my mind state every day now when I wake up to be like the world's back. What are you gonna do with it? Not like the world's not coming back yet. Will the world come back? My world is fucked. Blah blah blah. blah. That waking up with that sort of mind state and that sort of mentality is not gonna help you. Like I can't control when 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 brands decide to do events again. Like you know, I can't control if the people who used to hire me even at these brands when they come back, if they come back, whenever that is. But what I can control is what I work on every day. So I work every day now, regardless of what the the, the bank account says. I work mm-hmm. like I'm making a million dollars, even if I'm making one dollar, because yeah. that mindset enables me to go out there and and, and succeed, right? Because that's the way the world is going. The world is trending back that way, and. It's when you walk out the house with good energy like that and you go into meetings with that sort of energy and you create platform and co- platforms and content with, with that sort of energy, like, you know, even on Instagram, like nobody wants to hear with the mask jokes anymore. Nobody wants to hear that. Like we're six, seven months into this shit now. Nobody wants to hear about that the sob story anymore. That was really great. And that was absolutely trending in April and May. But now, you know, you post, you post a picture with your mask, like, People are like, I mean, obviously they may even wear the mask, but they're still taking it off for the picture. Like we're past that moment where we, where we want this to be a time capsule of, of what was going on. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, but, but in April and May, when you were taking pictures with your friends, you're all like six feet apart with the mask. It was cute. Now it's just yeah. like, now I take my kid outside, I take a picture of him, I'm like, bro, pull your mask down for a second. We're gonna, I, don't, I don't want to see a year's worth of our life with a mask. You know, obviously yeah. wear that shit when we're <laughs> like when I look back at it, like I don't want to not see my son's face for a year in photos and videos because when I look back at this when I'm old because because of that. And that's the same sort of mindset that I think you need to approach um, life and business with, right? Like yeah. the world's back. What are you gonna do with it? And so yeah. that that's kind of how I I approach everything now. And then my excitement is if I can figure this out now, well the other part of my life is slow. When that part of my life comes back, and it will come back, it's going to come back transformed, but it's absolutely going to come back. Like, how much better off will I be from this? I mean, I'll probably be crazy, but like, I'll be like, it'll be awesome, right? You know, I used to say for years, like, what am I going to do after DJing is done? Well, now I get it. Now I get a, it's it's like a preseason. It's like, it's like my little NBA bubble. Like, I get a little test case to see what that's like because it's done. You know, it will come back, but like now I, I get to fully test all the things. I always wanted to test that. I said one day when I'm 50, I'm going to do, I do it now. Yeah. See what works, see what I like, see what sticks, see what doesn't, see what's generating money, see what's causing me emotional stress. Keep 
you know, recompile the pot however I want it. So when I go back into like my real work, I, I can pick and choose and I know better what how I want the future to go. It's kind of awesome. It's like you get a mini, um, you know, it's like traveling, time traveling to like a little alternate world and those simulations. You get to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's you back, that's then you come back from, from, from Oz and you, and, and you go back to your life. You kind of know a little bit about, about yourself now. And, that, and that's yeah. how I, I think it's a huge opportunity. Yeah. yeah that That's, that's, that's deep, deeper than it than it probably than probably we realized the answer was going to be. But I think that was that was perfect because that's exactly right. This has been a awakening in a lot of ways for for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And like you said, I'm a father also, so being present with my son, he's three. I mean, I'm like like you, I was always present, but it just presents so many just new opportunities. So different level. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely definitely a different level. So all right, we're gonna ask you some fun things, and we're gonna get you out of here. Uh, this is this has been a great. Great, great interview. Very informative. Um, but now we're going to do some fun stuff. So tell us your top five musicians of all time. And we asked this to everybody, but to hear from you on this one is, is I'm particularly interested in. Musicians in, in which regard? So any type of music, literally like. Singer. No, it could be artists, rappers, singers, okay. anything. Uh, like, anyone that just, yeah. Okay. Because I have like two categories. That have inspired you the most, probably. That's okay. probably. Because it, it, it's interesting, because like I have like things I like because they're amazing, and then I have things I like because I think they're technically better. Right. Yeah. Or like for example, for me, like Low End Theory was a more classic tribe album. Midnight Marauders to me was a technically lyrically production superior album. Yeah. But it was more classic because it didn't define culture as much as uh, you know as Low End Theory did. You couldn't have had Midnight Marauders without Low End Theory. So I've always there's always been a lot of those things like for me like a weird duality of it but because right. we want to keep this quick um i would say stevie wonder mm -hmm. i would say um red hot chili peppers specifically flea who's a yeah. virtuoso mm -hmm. no genre of music that man can't play or do um i would say jay just for every every reason in the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say Drake because he's literally a Swiss Army knife in every single possible yes. Like he's white, he's black, he's Jewish, he's Christian, he's American, he's Canadian, <laughs> he's a rapper. Like, right. like what? And his his yeah. knowledge. I remember when we were you invited me to the Two Kings dinner. You and him were having a conversation. I was just sitting there like. I'm listening to two encyclopedias talk, right? Like his knowledge of music and first only person only conversation. But yeah, that was a good conversation. But he was a student of the culture just like I was, and I worked out much better for him. <laughs> I mean, worked uh, out pretty well for you too. And uh, I mean, I, I would trade. You saw his kitchen, uh, <laughs> and uh, I thought that video was filmed at a um, department store. <laughs> I the house was crazy. Yeah, I didn't know it was the house. It was crazy. Yeah. Really thought they just shut down like some department store downtown Toronto. Um, so that was four. Yeah. yeah, one more. And I would say I would say I'm gonna go way left with it. Just because I'm a big Robert Glasper fan. Like, like he's a very tremendous, amazing jazz musician. Yeah. And, uh, he, I would say him. Okay. Love it. It's a great list. Second one is uh, your top five athletes that have inspired you. 
think Jordan might be one Jordan, of them. Because of the started your career, right? Uh, yeah, just Jordan. I mean, Jordan's on everyone's list, but like for me, it's a little more personal because of the, um, the fact that I was able to sell the rookie card to get the career. Yeah. Um, I got to tell that story one day. That's really interesting. Yeah. Even if you look at like the highest value of that card, I think like with mint condition, never been touched. I think it was like thirty, forty thousand. Like it was five hundred at the time for me. And then now basketball cards having a moment again. I think it's like yeah. thirty or forty, but like thirty or forty gave me like a career. That's like yeah. oh, it's still pretty good odds. So that I would say um, Larry Bird because I grew up a huge Celtics fan, and that was my entry point into uh, into basketball, which gave me a huge entry into culture, which gave me a huge entry into my life. Um, and so, you know, that Larry and Magic rivalry in the 80s was huge, very informative to me. My kid's a Celtics fan now, but he only wants, he just cares about whoever scores 100 first. It's, it's like, <laughs> he doesn't care about the actual score. It's like, whoever gets 100 first is the winner. And I'm like, bro, that's not how <laughs> But like, I, you know, I applaud that you can count to 100, so that's great. Um, so what is that, three? No. Yeah. Two. I'll say LeBron for every reason in the book. Yeah. Um, I would say um, Serena for all the barriers she's broke and just the level of excellence she's shown across decades now, which is wild. Uh, I would probably throw Venus in there too for that. And lastly, I would say, uh, I would say, uh, going back to my Celtics, I would say, uh, I'm going to do six. I'm going to do two more Celtics. I'm going to do um, Jalen Brown. Because of like I would love for my son to grow up with that level of of intelligence and compassion, mm-hmm. so, like knowing that you could use your day job to to affect change. I think he's right. an amazing citizen, and I and I, and I love that. And I was thinking about getting my son like you know I was like what Celtics jersey am I going to get him? Because like, when he was little, I got him a Kyrie run, and that that didn't work out. <laughs> and I think Jalen Brown's going to be there for a long time. And he also, I believe, I'm pretty sure he wears number seven, yeah. like, how, like how D Brown did. Yep. So it's kind of dope. So I can get him like the Jalen Brown jersey. And the shoe with him. Super like intelligent, emotional, and like woke. But then I could also get him like the throwback, like Reebok pumps. Yeah. He could be like he could be like both both eras of Celtics. <laughs> I'm probably going to order that right now. Actually, and then I actually recently during these playoffs. Um, Fell back in love with how Marcus Smart plays the game. Yeah, you know, and I actually thought about getting my son his jersey too, simply just because it says Smart Smart in the back. Yeah, and, and and I tell him every day how he's smart, and I think he's pretty smart, and he's probably kid smarter, and he's probably kid dumber. He's pretty smart, but like I want him to know that, right? Yeah. Like when I grew up, like being smart was bad. I had to hide my report cards when my cousins came over. Right? I was like, it was just like what you know. I had to hide the shit that I was good at. Like for him, we're not doing that. We're not playing that shit at all. So I think I'm going to get him like both of those. But when when they did the playoffs and then he took the guys in the locker room and like basically like whooped the whole team's ass and then they came out stronger the next game and they loved him for it. That's the sort of passion and the sort of leadership because that, you know, this, that's just sort of say they could fracture, you know, fracture a team tremendously. And, and this kind of, I mean, from what I read, it was, I mean, it was like one on 12 and, and, and he, and they came out then they came out unified and yeah. it speaks power to how much people respect the passion and the compassion for how you know and the not backing down of, of what, what he does and so like you know i i that that's you know i'm getting long-winded with this but i, I think of, i always i think of everything in terms of, as i'm sure you do as, as of my son so yeah. i think about what i want to impart upon him 
I think that's the that's the beautiful thing about about sports, right? And those are like some of the hidden things that I think we get from sports, and why you know missing sports was such a big deal for people. It's not just you know to see the amazing athletes and amazing dunks and stuff, but it's also kind of the 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 culture and the stories and the camaraderie and the you know just you know the will and all the other things that you see that you don't really get to necessarily see on a day to day basis, yeah. and then you can draw inspiration from, like you said, in your own life. So I think those are you know very very poignant answers the, and the, uh the last one we have to get you, before you get out of here let's try to make this one quick your top five gigs of all time if you have have a list jeez i don't even know i mean i mean i would say the cast stuff in a generality because of it, what it gave me yeah mm-hmm. i would say the lebron jay-z dinners back in the day because those enabled me to meet the people that would change my life yeah, I don't want to say change my life, but like you know, open up pathways that enabled like my life to change. Um, I would say, um, man, I don't know. That's great. Like I, I, I have answers for different. Yeah, reasons. Yeah. My favorite gigs ever to this day, though, were those first gigs I did when I was like 19 years old with One Creative Records downtown. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. The culture was so different. It was a subculture where people really danced to obscure underground music and hip hop, and it was really fun. And I could play anything, and people would go nuts. And what you didn't have to just play whatever just came out that day or whatever. And it was, yeah. fun. And, it, and I was still so new that it felt like I was going when I would leave my dorm room and get in my car and drive downtown to do a forty-five minute set of one great records. I felt like I was entering like this magical portal, to like a different world. And then I would go back to like my real life. So those, you know, hindsight, it probably sucked, but like in, I mean, in like, in like 2020, but like it's, uh, those were magical times to me. So I, I would put that whole first year DJing to me in there. Yeah. Um, and you know, I got to do New Year's Eve once on the top of the World Trade Center, the new World Trade. That was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Just from a view, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. bring, bring a New Year's as a, as a pinnacle of, of, of New York City. Right. And, um, five would be, Oh, you know what I would say? It's funny. It's like a non-traditional one, but I did a wedding. It's like doing a lot of weddings, which is really interesting, but I love yeah. doing weddings for like the right couples because it's fun. Yeah. You know, I would never, I used to be embarrassed when I would do weddings. And now I'm just like, I actually love it because they seek me out because they trust that I'm going to be able to give them something to carry them off in joy for the rest of their lives. And um, I mean, I don't do obviously every wedding that like comes in, but like, you know, I would I'd choose the ones with, couples that I vibe with or like if they're rich that helps but also like where <laughs> like you know there's all sorts of like very very abilities I don't even I actually don't even have rates just full disclosure like my rates are zero to like not zero there's like mm-hmm. all situational but from a fun perspective I did a wedding a year or two ago in Tulum and it was my first time ever there and I got to actually I never take vacations and I got to chill out for like a day or two before the wedding which was re- highly rare for me so I was in a great mood and they um, booked uh, Mace to re- to perform at their wedding too. Wow! Nobody knew it was a complete surprise for all the guests. And so, what was cool? And it was just so, it was it was the most Tulum thing. It was like palm trees and candles. It was like it was like it was a made for Instagram uh, Wonderland of mm. a, a gig. And after they got married and they did the first dance and all that shit, uh, I started playing. And then I we just didn't tell anybody. I started playing. Um, I played. Uh, what did I play? Did I? I played one twelve only you, and yeah. then um, 
you know, the Biggie verse comes on, everyone's rapping along, and, and the 112 verses come on, everyone's rapping along, and then the Mace verse comes on, and you're going to run if you want to, huh? whatever, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, walk, walk out, walk out uh, through the kitchen with a mic. Oh, wow. That's dope. And, and right below the dance floor. And people went nuts. Yeah, I can't wow. even imagine. And then he did like a whole little set, and he was supposed to bounce. He did a stand for the whole wedding, like partying, doing the horror, all that shit. Like it was just like, it was really fun. But as a, you know, for me, as a, for the culture, it was like, A, I got to play records for an artist I grew up loving. B, like I was in the most beautiful place in the world, surrounded literally with love. Uh, good friends with the bride and groom to this day, probably because of how awesome that experience was. It was just like, it, it was a nice full circle moment for me that records I was playing 20 years before could get me a much needed vacation. The ability to pay for my kid, I get to meet and work with an artist that I look up to, and in yeah. the most peaceful, tranquil, beautiful environment ever, yeah. uh, and create a mood and enable people to have joy for the rest of their lives. If I don't fuck yeah. it up, so right? That would be. Uh, I can't answer anything short, man. I'm sorry. No, no, that's good. No, no. no. I mean, that's why we have you on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. But no, this this was great, Mick. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast, man. We look forward to. Continue watching what you're doing and drawing inspiration from you. I'm sure there'll be new things that pop up, like you said, in 2021. We want to hear all about them when they happen. And, uh, you know, stay in touch with us, man. Be safe. Sure. Cool. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Take care, man. Peace. Yeah. That was fun. Thank you. Hey, that um, that part where you guys were asking me about, like, the racial shit, was any of that weird? No, it was good. Okay. Make sure, like, give that another listen though before you go back, or especially have Mecca listen to it because yeah, I, just, I'll, 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 it's, like, it's 2020. I don't think I said anything weird at all. I think you I know. Think, I think it was. It was. I listened to it and I think it was real. I wanted to be thoughtful and truthful in answers, but like it was all you know. I just, just I'm just make just just have him also look at it. Too, yeah, I'll have him. I'll have him give it another listen. So, uh, I think you. I think you handled it well and and handled both sides of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't say, I didn't say anything flagrant or inflammatory. I literally no, said, you did. honored to have to, like, have to go through that stuff because it gave me perspective. But yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's good to get that, especially in times like this. Like, I think you offer, you're able to offer an honest perspective that's unique and because you're, you're in the culture, right? In this culture that's been created by black people has given you so much, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you realize there's still issues that we're working through in the country and you've, you've had to literally deal with them your whole life, you know? I just feel like, you know, just make sure, but uh, yeah, we'll, oh. we'll give it, a, we'll give it another listen for sure. All right. All right. Oh, great to see you, man. You look Good great. Seeing you too, man. All right. I'll talk to you. When is this coming out? Uh, it should be out Thursday. This oh, oh, like, like tomorrow. All right. We'll say Tuesday. Oh, like in two days. In two days. I'll All let right. you know. Okay. Uh, okay. Appreciate you. Great to see you, man. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are back again with a very special guest, Zach Smith of Minister Sports. Zach, thanks for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, man. So college football. Let's let's talk some college football, man. It kicked off. Well, been kicked off for a few weeks now, but uh, we saw some kind of interesting games uh, in the Big 12 and the SEC this past weekend. I'm going to get get your thoughts on some of them. First, let's talk about Oklahoma. let's talk about the Big 12. Let's talk about Oklahoma 
uh, in Texas. Yeah. Let's talk about them both at the same time. Texas was able to. Yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't deserve individual attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You, you got to combine them together, right? Yeah. <laughs> Texas was able to come out with a narrow win. Oklahoma actually lost to was Kansas. It was Kansas right? Kansas State. Kansas State. Kansas State. State. Kansas yeah. State. Kansas State. I can't even remember. Those schools are both irrelevant in football for the most part. <laughs> but uh, what what were your thoughts? What are your thoughts there? I mean, it's it's it's. You know, in, in a way, you want to give excuses, right, because it's new and it's COVID and it's the season and no one knew if they're going to play and all that stuff. And another way, you're like, no, bump that. You got way more talent. You got way more better coaching, better staff, better everything. Get your shit together. What were your thoughts on, on the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, that's the reality, right? Who gives a shit? Everyone had COVID. It's not like COVID only hit Oklahoma <laughs> right. and the rest of the world's like COVID. No, right. we didn't have that. I mean, <laughs> right. it, it affected everyone. So yeah. you get over it. It's, it's no different than a, if it's a rainy day. Like both teams have to play in the rain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's complete uh, excuse making. And I, I, you guys put out the the promo, and I stole it from you and put it out on my my page too. Just this is this only perfect analysis, right? Like it. This Oklahoma team was exactly what I worried they would be. Mm-hmm. This this falsely anointed heir to Lincoln Riley's QB tree mm-hmm. that really has no reason why he was going to be an elite quarterback. No one knew what he was going to be. And sure enough, and, they, and then on top of that, they don't have the skill. Their top three running backs from last year, one of them is going to start at Ohio State. The other one's suspended for PEDs or whatever the reason is from the end of last year. And the other one opted out. So now they're on their fourth best running back coming into the season. So they had no run game on Saturday. They, they don't really have the skill at receiver. C.D. Lamb's not there. Charleston Rambo wasn't very good. Theo Weiss didn't really have an impact. So you're looking at this like, all right, Lincoln Riley's offense was really bad. It's just the reality of it. They turned the ball over four times. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of yeah. people are going to blame Alex Grinch's defense. And don't get me wrong, they, they didn't play good defense. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean – they, they were a team that was averaging 22 missed tackles last year. They're two years ago. Last year, they got it down into the teens. They had four missed tackles. There's five missed tackles on Saturday. Like That defense is improved. It's just they didn't have this firepower offense that they're used to. Yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that a little bit about, first of all, I mean, Texas lost 63 to 56, right? Yeah. That score itself to me is like, this isn't football anymore, right? And no. This is a problem that the Big 12 has. It doesn't seem like defense is a part of the culture of that conference at all. Are these teams, why do why does this conference continue to get the type of respect that it gets when they can't even, they all show that they can't play one side of the ball? It's just bizarre, isn't it? Like, it's, it's not regionally because you look at like Baron Browning, Jeff Okuda, guys that like left Texas and they can play defense when they go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like some issue in tech, the state of Texas. Like the players don't yeah. like defense. It's not <laughs> that. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's just cultural, just the style of offense, maybe the style of program, style of practice, just how it's emphasized. And then, I mean, they, I don't know. I, I don't have another good reason. I mean, they, they have good coaches, coaches that were great defensive coordinators in the SEC. They go to the Big 12, and it's like they don't know how to coach anymore. <laughs> it's like yeah. the most bizarre thing in the world. But I think it's also a product of the offenses. Like we just talked about kind of how Lincoln Riley's offense set Alex Grinch's defense up for failure. And you yeah. you just looked at the end of the game. I mean, mm. Kansas State had the ball on the plus 38, the plus 38, the minus 40, the last three drives. It's like that's tough for anyone to play defense in those scenarios. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. more a com- commitment by the offense to kind of move the chains and punt the ball. It's just the field position battle is just 
it's it's not as important in the Big 12, and it hurts their defenses. It really does. One other thing on Texas, and you know, I know your best friend, best friend is the head coach there. <laughs> but let's let's take let's take that out of it for a second, and just if you can, and try to evaluate why he was such a successful coordinator at Ohio State, and why he's been just such a subpar kind of head coach at Texas. Well, you, I'll tell you this: he was uh, he was a guy that w- was had. He would take risks. He was a risk taker, kind of a loose cannon, both in how he lived his personal life, how he coached, how he called plays, everything. He was just wild, kind of. And Mm. that made him very dangerous. But at the same time, this is a guy that was going to get fired at Iowa State as a coordinator if Urban didn't essentially save his career because they had the same agent. So Mm. we're not going to act like he was this offensive guru. He inherited Braxton Miller. He inherited some great football players. And he was he's very smart, like not to take anything away from him. He's a very smart guy. But Sorry, Sam Ellinger's not Braxton Miller. And I mean, he he went to Houston and he was blessed with some some talent and he did a good job there. Now he goes to Texas and he's got to build something substantial with a concrete foundation. And it's kind of proven that he builds shit on sand, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I mean, it's just smoke and mirrors, mock the other team's quarterback, like yeah. really wild dude, can't win big games. Sorry, Tom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wanted to ask you about that, right? Like, in terms of coordinators and kind of knowing who you are, right? Every coach has ambition, but there's a big difference between being a core, especially at the college level, being a coordinator and being the head coach. Do you think that the weight oh, yeah. of those additional responsibilities are, are a big part of the problem for those? Well, I think definitely one, there's no predictor for success as a head coach. You could say, Oh, a coordinator kind of runs that side of the ball. No, they don't. I mean, in a very microcosm way, they run that side of the ball. The head coach runs everything. So I think it's hard to predict because the guy's never been in that role. Um, but I think the other thing that happens a lot with guys like Tom, uh, offensive mind that is very, very smart is they, they want to control the offense because that's that's what got them a head coaching job. And after yeah. a while, because of their ob- other obligations as the CEO of, of, a, of a college football program, they don't have the time to invest to stay sharp in that role. Mm-hmm. And then it's really hard for them to give up control. You see it with Jim Harbaugh. You saw it with Urban before he brought Ryan back. You see it with all these big-time coaches. I think Tom's going through it. He just brought in a new coordinator. I hope that guy's the right guy. I mean, Ryan Day yeah. sure didn't fight to keep your Yurchich or whatever his name is. Right. Um, so... I don't know. I think you become so much more reliant on your staff that if you don't have a great coordinator and you don't give them control, you might be up shit's creek. So that, actually, that, that's a good segue. I'm talking about coordinators, you know, into the, kind of the SEC, right? And the Mississippi State versus LSU. And we kind of always knew that LSU was going to be not what they were last year. Obviously, you lose the Heisman Trophy winner and maybe one of the best players in the history of college football, and Joe Burrow. You lose a ton of talent on offense and defensive side of the ball, and you lose your coordinator, right, to the NFL, Joe Brady. Uh, And so we kind of had a feeling that uh, maybe they weren't going to be something. And then Mississippi State comes in, Mike Leach, and, and, you know, you know, they take them down. What what how do you look at that game and and kind of this landscape of the SEC now? Is that more of like a is this this specifically about that game? Was it more about Mississippi State to you or is it more about LSU? Well, I think it's just, it, it, it's a combination like anything else. I mean, you look at what Mike Leach has done. He's taken bottom, bottom barrel coaching jobs and wins, and it's mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy is a true masterpiece for college football fans, and for him to go out, I mean, he gets K.J. Costello, the transfer from Stanford, who was already a, a really solid quarterback. 
he comes in and the writing's on the wall. Like, holy shit, Leach, Leach is going to do it again. It's, he's got yeah. his gutter menu of, of the SEC. But I think there was there was little indicators along the way, right? Jamar Chase opting out. Like, why did he opt out? Like, this guy just lit the world on fire. There's mm-hmm. a reason why after training camp he opted out, right? Mm-hmm. It just wasn't the same. And then you look at DBU. Boy, oh boy. Right. I mean, the cornerback position, right? They had four corners that played. And Mississippi State torched their four corners for 413 yards and four touchdowns. Mm. Just the corners. Mm. And you're yeah. looking at it like, mm. right. Derek Stingley Jr. Was, was out. He was in the hospital with some bizarre, I don't know, disease that wasn't COVID, apparently. And then <laughs> they lost Christian Fulton, Grant Delpit, all these guys that are starting in the NFL. And it's like, uh-oh, not the same Tigers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I wanted, I wanted right. to ask you specifically, circling back to Mike Leach right now, yeah. It's one thing to do it in the Big 12. It's another thing to do it in the Pac-12, right, where offense yeah. is emphasized. What really makes this guy such a genius on the offensive side of the ball specifically that it translates wherever he goes? Well, you know what? Urban Meyer used to always say it, and it's so true. Like, football is a simple game complicated by dumbass coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think Mike Leach's benefit is he's not a football guy. He's a lawyer. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he is the absolute opposite of a football coach that you've ever met. And so they do things. And I remember he came in and talked to our staff, and Urban and him, like, almost got into it to the point where it got uncomfortable. <laughs> like, hey, Herb, like, leave him alone, man. He doesn't give a shit what you think. Right, hey, right. He's talking about offensive football, and he was they do all these things that just are unconventional. It's very bizarre. It's like, all right, well, what do you tell the receiver on this? He's like, ah, oh, you got to feel grass. And if you feel grass, you got to <laughs> kind of throttle it down. And you're looking at him like, what? Like, right. no, we, we go 10 yards, put our foot in the ground, like so right. detailed. And he just has a totally different philosophy. It's all about feeling and and – he runs the X set amount of plays and he finds a way to be successful against whatever you do. And it's, yeah. it's just different. It's very bizarre. And uh, you're seeing a whole wave of his offense or his, his philosophy going through college football now, but his is the most bizarre of all of them. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about some Florida football. Oh, cause yeah. And, and really from actually all, I want to talk about the big three. First yeah. of all, Florida, yeah. you kind of called that Florida was going to be really good this year yeah. and they looked good. Um, then obviously Miami is looking like they may be, maybe they're back. We'll see. And then Florida state hesitate to say it. Right. Right. It's so hard to, cause we've seen, we've seen this story before, even when, uh, what's that guy's name? The one whose mom is Felicia, Felicia from Friday when he was, he was supposed to be the next, next big thing. So, so let's, let's take it one at a time. Let's, let's start with university of Florida. You, you, you predicted it, you know, you've been saying it since the beginning that they were going to be a problem this year. They looked really good. Did that, did everything you see from them confirm that, or is it still too early to, to, to tell? Yeah, I mean they're the they're setting the pace in the SEC East without a doubt, especially with how Georgia struggled. And I mean, I, I don't know, Tennessee might might be the second best team. I mean, it's just right. they're the they're the the team in the East, right? And right. I, what you saw from Kyle Trask was, I mean, crazy impressive. It reminded mm-hmm. me of Joe Burrow's first game last year, where he throwing he's operating at such a high level, like over seventy percent completion percentage. So they start blitzing him, and then he. He's even better when they blitz him, and you're like, "Oh boy, I've seen this movie before." <laughs> right, calendar yeah. year before, right. and then that tight end Kyle Pitts they have. Oh my, my god, god, yeah, is he an absolute freak show? Yeah. Um, and then they got the, the little guy Tony uh, mm-hmm. that, that I really liked. He's yeah. kind of a hybrid guy. Yeah, I think 
here's what I think Florida's lacking. Their defense was struggled. Elijah mm-hmm. Moore, the receiver from Ole Miss, just absolutely toasted them for like 220 yards. Mm-hmm. So they got some issues on defense. Their outside receivers struggled. Trayvon Grimes, who Buckeye fans know really well, is down there. His issue is he can't get open. He's 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 mm-hmm. making contested catches. He's making plays, but he's not getting separation and getting open. What so, does that have to do with, by the way? Is that route running or is that speed, agility, or no, it's, everything? It was not speed with him. I mean, he's a, he's a junior track Olympian. Like he's yeah, as fast as he comes. Um, I think it's it's just technique. It's just it's it's being fluid and getting in and out of breaks and being well coached. And he will get there, I think. But he just he didn't he didn't get open much. I mean, he got open in zone coverage and in man coverage. He made two contested catches that I thought were really good. Yeah. But yeah, I think. Florida's a legit contender because of the, the quarterback. It all starts with the quarterback. And if they can add a defense to it, which I'm sure they will kind of sure that defense up a little bit, um, they're in the contention. Now, I don't know. You look at the landscape of the SEC, I think they might have some problems with Georgia and George Pickens, the the stud sophomore receiver he, that they have. They'll definitely have problems with Alabama if they're fortunate enough to play Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Those are two freak show receivers. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But Florida's definitely – they're the team in the East. They're, they're, it's yeah. – it, their head and shoulders above everyone else. So let's sandwich the bad between the two good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so what exactly, like what's happening at Florida state? I think we're all kind of amazed by it. programs decline. Right. But yeah. you would never think that a program like Florida state would sink to the level that they're at. Like, how do you go from a national champion a few years ago to being one of the, the worst teams in Division One football, it looks like because yeah. whenever they play a contender, they're getting blown out. Yeah, it's 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 crazy what's happening at Florida State, and I know a couple guys on staff down there. It's a good coaching staff. Um, I, I think what happened is it's 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 literally the perfect storm hit. Willie Taggart did such a horrendous job when he was the head coach there in recruiting, in the culture, the program, and everything. And I, I mean, they had to make a change. So they they blew it up. They bring in Mike Norvell. He has had several failures down his first year and COVID hit. It's like yeah. not right. only did he have these moments where the culture kind of consumed him and his program as opposed to the opposite, but then it's like, and he's trying to like fix it over Zoom calls and crazy shit. And it's like, right. I don't even know how you do that. And yeah. so it's just, and, and then on top of that, they got to go play Miami and the poor son of a bitch tests positive and can't coach. He right. doesn't even get to go to the game. Yeah, It's yeah. like this, this poor, this, it's just a train wreck. I don't know. There's no other way to put it. It's like you see a bad car accident on YouTube and you just keep watching. You're so like, you oh, think it's oh. not, do you think it's a talent? Do they have a talent issue there? Also, no. they don't, right? I mean, it's, no like still get it's Florida State. Yeah, they have great. They get great talent. It's Florida State. I mean, they 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 might not be developed. It's it's culture. It's culture, yeah. the program and development. And unfortunately, they didn't have an opportunity to try to even like have some band aid fixes because of COVID. No spring ball, no summer, and so now you're watching the train wreck that I've been saying is coming uh, for I don't know four or five months. It's like poor guys. I feel bad for them. Let's talk about that <laughs> culture thing for a second too, because that word is kind yeah. of it can. You probably have a deeper understanding of what that means. It might be vague to some, to some listeners. What, what do you mean when you say culture? What is it? Give us an example of a good culture. What does a good culture, a winning culture look like? Well, it, it's it's just something that, that it starts with preparation. It starts with meeting rooms. It, it starts with practice tempo, things like that, that, I mean, it's hard for guys that haven't been in a great cultured program to do. I mean, the, the as yeah. I can tell you this right now. 
the the tempo that Ohio State and Alabama practice at for the last five, six years is unparalleled across the country. And that is verified by NFL scouts. NFL mm-hmm. scouts will come in 30-year vets that have been to every program in the last 30 years. They'll come in and say, wow, like you guys and Saban, it just it's way different. Mm-hmm. Like how fast guys go and practice, how hard they go, how just stupid things like how quick players go from period three to period four in inter- yeah. exchanging drill work and going from mm-hmm. drill A to drill B, things like that. That I mean, it's culture. And, yeah. and, and those little things carry over into how you play on Saturdays. Yeah. And you see it with the way Alabama plays and Ohio State plays. And, and those things are things that it's really hard to buy into. If you're kind of used to chilling and then maybe going hard when you're running a post, right. it's hard to go hard for two straight hours. And, and to break that bad culture and bring the good culture in, that's a process. Yeah. And without practices or in-person contact, I don't know how you do it. I don't think you can do it. Yeah, yeah and, and culture is a big word in, in talking about Miami. Right. Yeah. That's the culture we all know. We know nobody, even Ohio State fans and other big program fans, they'll acknowledge the U is the U, right? They they've right. earned that moniker. But they've been up and down the last few years. And it seems like there really has been a culture shift back to what the U is. Obviously, having a great quarterback, which I'll I'll let you speak on what you think yeah. about King helps, but also coaching staff that understood what the core culture of Miami is seems to be also what's brewing there. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you see is going on there. Yeah. I mean, we're, I think, I think they've, they've been transitioning back in the direction. I mean, come going back to the U days. I mean that you're talking about high aspirations. I mean, they were so mm-hmm. dominant and the culture was just, the swagger was ridiculous. Yeah. And, and to even think that they're going to get back to that ever is, is almost too lofty, but but what you're seeing now is they, they have a little confidence. They're playing with a little bit of, I guess, respect for the brand. They're playing harder. And they have a functional quarterback. They haven't had a functional quarterback in – I honestly can't even think of a time. If you want to count mm. Ken Dorsey, I mean, right. he was just okay. Right. But they were so loaded that they were good. So I, I think what you're seeing is they got a real quarterback, like a legit big time, probably going to play in the NFL at some level quarterback and they haven't had that in forever and now you got a chance to actually put together a program an offense and and not just kind of try to figure out how to complete a third down so i'm, yeah. I'm excited to see i you know i think the jury's still out i think they're overrated yeah. I, don't, I don't think they're as good as people are hyping them up to be but I, i'm here for it i'm here for all the hype because yeah. yeah. it's a, at least now it's a little bit deserved right right yeah right and the acc and, needs someone to compete oh with gosh badly right for sure <laughs> and then, you know and and you talk about quarterbacks. I mean, obviously, one of the biggest stories now is is Big Ten coming back and Justin Fields being able to play. I think a lot of people, not even just Ohio State fans, a lot of just college football fans were kind of disappointed at the fact that we might have to go through this whole season and not get a chance to see Justin, Justin play. And that still could theoretically happen. But now it looks like things are aligning up well for Ohio State. You have, you know, Wyatt Davis and, and Sean Wade have been a, approved, I guess, to to come back and play. Um, yep. And the schedule's been released. Ohio State's supposed to play uh, October 24th. Preseason poll or polls are now being included in polls, and some people have them. I think some, I think Vegas might even have them as a favorite to win or have the easiest yep. road to win national championship. Yep. What do you see there? What what when you know as a as a not as a fan, but as someone who's like actually evaluating the landscape of college football? What do you see with from Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it all starts. 
uh, offensively, at least nowadays, it's, it's an offensive game as, as important as defensive is. I mean, it's, it's about scoring points. You look at the playoffs last year, and those are high-scoring games. And so you look at a team that has arguably the number one or number two offensive line in the United States of America. They have <laughs> the number one or number two quarterback in the United States of America. They're going to have a legitimate run game with a one-two punch with Trey Sermon and Master Teague. Um, all reports that I've heard from inside the program are Trey Sermon is going to be very, very good, like dynamic, explosive, and and that's what he was at Oklahoma. And then you you have a, a receiver core that that features. Chris Olave, who's going to be a monster, Garrett Wilson, who showed flashes, and then a, a slew of talent, of young talent, unproven talent, guys mm-hmm. that are finally healthy, you know, with Cam Babb, Jamison Williams, and then all, all whatever, 100, the top 100 receivers <laughs> in America last year, I think, signed <laughs> right, right, right. Um, So they're loaded. They're absolutely yeah. loaded. They have two NFL tight ends. Like, their, their offense is so poised for a run here. And then defensively, he's going to be fun to watch. They have veteran linebackers that I are just we're just okay, right? They have a secondary who I'm excited about, Sean Wade, obviously being the headliner. Um, but they have talented guys across the board on defense. And then you like I've, Proctor I, I, too, right? I, he's my favorite. I mean, he's gonna yeah. be my favorite player. Too, I promise. Yeah. He's yeah. an absolute freak show. He yeah. reminds me so much of Malik Hooker that it's it's going to be really fun to watch. And, and I've said it for I don't know a couple months now. When the biggest question mark on Ohio State's team is how good their defensive line is going to be. And Larry Johnson <laughs> is running that show. It's right. a great day to be a Buckeye yeah, because right. Larry Johnson right. doesn't leave questions unanswered. He just doesn't. I wanted to key in on, on zone six specifically, right? Because yeah. the cupboard has always been full at receiver. And we're seeing guys like Michael Thomas translate to the NFL. But I believe he had, what, 300-some yards his final year. Talk to us a little bit about the philosophical difference or changes that are now leading more of these guys to be able to break out. Is there a difference? Is it the changing offense or is it just now we pass more and we have the quarterback to do it? That's all it is. It's, it's, it's just the quarterback position. I mean, I could go down the, the entire history of what happened at receiver, but when we came in, the receiver position was the most depleted position group I've seen at any level of football ever. I mean, it was just, it was astonishing. And then, it started with make a long story short. It, we really built the brand up through hard work and recruiting to get talented kids to come to Ohio State. And it was based on faith. We didn't have any testimony other than what we did at Florida to say this is going to be a great place for receivers. Like it right. was kind of like just trust. Me. Right. And so we, we got it. You had a lot to do with that, too. Yeah, right. And, and so we got we got the talent in. Things started turning. And I think the biggest change you've seen is the the I guess changing of the guards from Urban Meyer's offense to Ryan Day's offense from Urban Meyer essentially developing quarterbacks to Ryan Day developing quarterbacks where now you're seeing this is this is the place mm-hmm. to go if you play receiver whereas before it was like you're going to get developed like Michael Thomas is a great example you'll get developed you'll be ready for the next level you just might not have the stats mm-hmm. because yeah. that's not the type of thing we do on offense well that's not the case anymore now you're looking at, I mean, what would translate to an NFL offense right now? And guys that are that will have the stats, will get the balls. We got pass passers taking the snap. And so I think that's a huge part of it. Zone six is absolutely loaded right now from top to bottom. And, and the cool thing is, unlike maybe 2015, you're going to get to see them actually do it on Saturdays. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask, yeah. too. Last question on that, too, is, you know, it's and maybe we're just, I don't know, splitting hairs here. But of of those freshmen that have come in, 
I mean, it seems like they're all dynamic. I mean, I'm watching catches. I'm like, these guys look like NFL players, let alone college yeah. players. <laughs> and they're going up against BIA too. Right. That's the, right. We know. <laughs> who, who of them, you know, I know it's early to tell and there's a lot of things that can happen, but who of them do you think could potentially have a breakout freshman year? Um, you know what? I, I It's hard to call. I think Jackson Smith, the Jigba is, is probably uh, – Candidate number one, um, he's just very, very mature, explosive, great hands. I love. I, I, it's hard. I love yeah. all three of the 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 big the the normal receivers. Mookie right. Cooper is going to be a dynamic guy in the slot, kind of right. a hybrid guy. But I, I guess I would have to say Jackson, just based on film and what I've heard, and then G Scott. But they've all been impressive. It's hard to tell. Yeah. G Scott uh, is has been very impressive. Julian Fleming's probably who I've heard the least about, which the. And he was the most hyped. So sometimes that's why, you know, you hear about the other ones because they weren't as hyped up. But right. I don't know. I, I think it's 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 always tough for a freshman to come in and be some dominant force. So I'm not yeah. looking at any of those three to be a dominant force. I'm just looking kind of what we saw with Garrett Wilson. Just with a Garrett couple of flashes. Just yeah. show, show flashes of greatness so that next year we know that with a full year of normal offseason, you're going to be a real dude. Yeah. 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 And as far as as far as the running backs are concerned, mm -hmm. right? Like we have a unique development with the season starting later than it initially would have. It seemed like it was going to be Trey Sermon's opportunity early on until Master Teague got fully healthy. Now it's looking like Master Teague will be healthy um, sooner than later. How do you see that situation playing out? Do you think Trey Sermon is going to be the the dominant player, or do you think it's going to be a timeshare? Well, I think the reality is this. Ohio State's going to be better than everyone they play. So they're going to be able to, and, and Master Teague is a big 10 back. Like he reminds me of those Beanie Wells, like just big mm -hmm. physical bruises. So yeah, exactly. And I think they're going to, they're going to split, split carry, split times for a number of reasons. One, you need it for the longevity of a season. And two, because I think Master Teague is good enough and has earned the right to carry the ball. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I think make no mistake about it. When it comes to nut cutting time, when it when it comes to a, a Big Ten championship or playoff game, or Trey Sermon is going to be the feature back, and I mm -hmm. and I don't know that anyone would disagree with that. That's not to say Master's not going to have a role. It's not to mm -hmm. not to say he's not going to play a lot, but right. when it's third down, game on the line, and you need a guy in the game that you trust to catch the ball to the backfield or run for a first down, it's going to be Trey Sermon. And is, and, is Crowley back? By the way, does, does anybody know? Is he is he back from injury? Oh, yeah. uh, he was supposed to be. I, I haven't. I haven't heard. He but I think. ACL, though, right? I, think uh, I don't know. Yeah. And I have one last question about just just Ohio State is. I mean, <laughs> you. Kind of, I guess we kind of answered it, but it doesn't. This doesn't seem like hype to me. You know, there's some years like, okay, as a Browns fan, right? <laughs> some years you go into the season, you're like, you're excited and you're hyped, but you kind of know in the back of your head this is hype. You know, this yeah. one doesn't feel like that. No. This one feels real. No. This one feels like this is the real McCoy. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's also not only is it based on like an actual concrete foundation of great players. I think there's also a lot of faith in Ryan Day. It's just mm -hmm. the reality of it. I mean, you, I, I and I, I granted I was on the inside, but going into 2015, there's no one that had a better foundation than we did. But it it felt like we're going to screw this up at some point. Like mm. this is going to get screwed up. Whereas, yeah. it, call it a lack of faith in Urban, call it a lack of faith in Ed Warner. It doesn't matter what you want to call it. There, it just felt like I don't know if we can really win it all with this team. Mm. And it wasn't players. I, yeah, I think definitely wasn't players. Own, <laughs> definitely wasn't players. <laughs> I think the NFL, the NFL doesn't agree at all. Right. 
And so I think that's the reality of it. I think people really feel like Ryan Day is the real deal. And so not only do they have the players, but it's kind of this blind faith that, you know what, even the question marks are going to be answered because he's that good. Yeah. And And how much did losing last year, how much do you think losing last year added to this team in terms of? Yeah. I think it just it, it adds a chip on your shoulder, especially the way they lost. Um, it just they're they're pissed and they're on a mission, and um, it, it's it reminds me so much of the 2014 Michigan State journey because they had just ended our 24 and 0 run, beat us, embarrassed us in the Big Ten championship. Then we lose to Clemson, and there was this sour taste in our mouth after 2013, and and it was so much built up and so much preparation around beating Michigan state in 2014, that it was probably the most fun game I ever coached in. Cause it was just, a, I mean, we lit them up across the board and you're seeing that right now, despite all COVID and all that stuff, these players at Ohio state have been training to go win a national championship. They're not even talking big 10. They're not talking yeah. about team up North. They are talking right. about going to win it all because they're so pissed that they got it taken away last year. So let me ask you one last question and we'll get you out of here. You know, you can't yep. really have a, a legit college football conversation right now without talking about Alabama, right? You mentioned them a little earlier, but they're always there. I mean, what are we, what are we seeing from there? It seems as though maybe it's a three-horse race at the top with Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. You have some dark horses in, like you said, in Florida, maybe maybe Oregon if they play. I don't know. But what are you, yeah. what are you seeing from Alabama? I mean, they, they haven't really played anyone, so uh, – but – Neither has a lot of teams. Georgia, yeah. you would say Georgia hasn't played anyone and they look terrible. Like so what what you've seen is is Alabama's been really good. And and I I, I sent you guys the graphic, but they have a legitimate quarterback. The only quarterback yeah. that graded higher than Kyle Trask from Florida was Mac Jones at Alabama. He was yeah. also the highest graded quarterback in the second half of the season last year once he took over for Tuo. He's like this. He's like that quarterback that no one wants to acknowledge is actually good. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, but he's just kind of that guy that right. went that came in for Tua, but he's really doing he's really doing well. They're loaded yeah. at receiver. Najee Harris is going to be one of the best backs in the country. They got yeah. their whole defense back. Two stud linebackers came back from ACL injuries a year ago. They have two legit corners. Pat Sertain Jr. is an absolute he's six foot three stud. <clears throat> I mean a monster. They're, they're just loaded. And I, yeah. I even talked about it on my show. They have like my dream. Their whole secondary is from South Florida, Fort Lauderdale and Miami. All of them. All, f- yeah. all four or five of them. And it's like, that's, that, that, I'm telling you, that's a key to success. <laughs> and they've got a similar chip too, right? As, as all yeah. the state coming into this season. They definitely do. I mean, they, they got left out last year. People kind of have, have passed the torch to Clemson from Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's like Alabama was the dynasty. Now it's Clemson. And, and I know Nick Saban, anything, anytime he can get an edge or a chip on, on their shoulder, yeah. watch out. And, and they, yeah. they're playing really well. I pray this season finishes, man, because I, those, those, CFP games are going to be nuts if 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 we oh. get there, you know. I just want to oh, see Clemson. Uh, we have to see Clemson. That's that's important. Yeah, absolutely. I just All right, th- I just hope I hope that there's a fourth candidate, like a legit, because every year in the playoffs, there's they throw in an Oklahoma or someone, yeah. they get mopped up, yeah. and it's like, eh. and then and then you have one team that takes an easy road to the finals. I, I hope they have right. four legit contenders in the playoffs, so we can see two great semifinals and a great finals. Yeah. That's the dream, right? Absolutely. Well, we'll watch, and obviously we're hoping and praying that the season continues to go. Um, there's some NFL COVID shit that happened this week with yep. Tennessee, and so we're already seeing that, and you can only imagine. I think there's some new cases in maybe Notre Dame, and games are getting canceled, so I'm not 
I'm cautiously optimistic, but I pray that we get to see it and, and you know, we'll, we'll see, see what, what we can. If it's a game or nine games, let's make sure we enjoy each moment. Agree. Hey, I'm going to enjoy game one. As long as there's game one, let's just start there. Right? Exactly. Exactly. All right, Zach. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you guys check out his podcast, Menace to Sports. It's available everywhere. Appreciate it, guys. Right, take care. Take care, man. Ondo Media here in Columbus has been working with us to keep the Pilot Boys in production during the pandemic, as well as getting our YouTube videos going. It's all about telling your story to your audience. So give John at Ondo Media a shout. You can find all of their media consulting at ondomedia.com. You listen to the Pilot Boys podcast. Time for news and notes. Let's hit it. Let's so go. LeBron is in the finals again. Um, I think it's been like, I don't know. Just a ridiculous amount of times, you know, there's, there's no matter what you think about the road and the path and all that type of stuff, there's something to just respect about that level of consistency, uh, particularly because we've seen many great players um, who we, who we thought had transcendent amounts of talent, whether it's, you know, you know, Tracy McGrady or Penny Hardaway or Carmelo Anthony or, you know, all those Paul type George. of Paul, <laughs> Paul George, all those type <laughs> of guys. And just, I think more than anything, you just have to appreciate the consistency. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's the most important thing to do with LeBron James is is to appreciate what he's accomplishing. Stop trying to compare him to other players. Mm-hmm. Forget all that. Just appreciate LeBron James for LeBron James, and he's one of the most dominant, most accomplished basketball players we've ever seen. Forget the GOAT argument. Forget all that stuff. Just enjoy what he's accomplishing and appreciate that and apply that to your own life. And what about the heat, man? I think you know people are probably sleeping on the heat a little bit still partially because they're just underdogs. They were probably weren't expected to even win the East Um, except for by people like us. Like, you know, we, we, we appreciate that type of team because they do have killers on the team. Like don't get it twisted. Jimmy Butler's a killer. Right. Um, But they also are very well coached organizationally all from the top, all the way down. And they have a lot of uh, talented players that maybe we've never heard of. Um, The Lakers should win this series, obviously, but let's not act like the heat are, are, are undeserving. I mean, we talked about culture with Zach, right? Mm-hmm. The culture of the Heat organization. Like, they lost LeBron and Dwayne Wade, and now they're back in the finals with a new cast and crew of people. And also with the Jimmy Butler thing, I think, again, it's the player mentality meeting the right culture mm-hmm. for him. He right. wasn't fit in a lot of the other places, but Miami built a team and brought him in to a culture that he belonged in, and they knew that when they recruited him. So definitely deserve their credit. And I think they're going to give them a series, take one or two games, but they shouldn't be able to beat the Lakers. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, some football, some NFL stuff. The Browns are over 500 for the first time since 2014. I mean, they're 2-1. <laughs> right? We have to take what we, we, we can get. They haven't really, to me, played really their best football yet. Um, and, you know, so the good – and I said this on Twitter, that it's, pro- it's progress to be 2-1. In this regard, typically the Browns not playing their best football means they're own three, you know, yeah. even if they're not playing against great, you know, potentially great teams. Uh, to me, what are some of the things that you see from them that give you hope? And what are some of the things that you see from them that give you pause? I mean, our defense has gotten better each week, right? Mm-hmm. And Miles Garrett is just a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. If we can't figure out that side of the ball, then, and we're still getting healthy over there. So mm-hmm. I'm happy with what we're seeing from the defense. Um, I think we have something special in the running game that can cover a lot of our weaknesses mm-hmm. um, because we have two backs that are just freaking phenomenal that are working. Hall of Fame caliber. Hall of Both Fame of caliber them. backs. And that, mm-hmm. they have 
all the skills. They can catch, they can pass protect, they can run the ball. As long as we just feed our offense through them. And Eric Metcalf told us this, right? Mm-hmm. Give the ball to Nick Chubb. We don't right. have much. I honestly, and you probably agree with this. I'm not seeing much that gives me a belief that Baker Mayfield is special so far. I don't think Baker is special. And I don't, I, I have, we have seen over time that you don't, I mean, first of all, you do, you would like to have a special quarterback, right? Yeah. And if you're not going to have a special quarterback, then you got to have a special defense and you got to have, you know, a special run game, which I think yeah. the Browns potentially have. And we saw that from what Baltimore Ravens in 2000, but you don't yeah. see that often. I mean, the quarterbacks that are winning now for the most part are studs. Um, you can't have the weapons that we have. I feel badly in a lot of ways for ODB and Jarvis Landry. Yeah. Yeah. Hall of Fame caliber receivers, right? Yeah, so, yeah, and they're not even getting the ball really, you know. So yeah. it's you know again, it's some of it is game plan, some of it is scheme, some of it is game flow. Um, you know, Odell had some drops earlier in the season yeah. as well too. So that, like to be fair, yeah. and um, but I just I don't I personally don't think Baker is special, you know, yeah. and um, but I don't think he necessarily has to be for the Browns to be successful. Yes, I think exactly. he has to be put in the right positions. And, you know, I like what I'm seeing from Stefanski so far. I think that he understands that as well, yeah. right? He, he threw 23 passes, I think, last game or the game before yeah. that. That's, yeah. you know, prior years, he's been throwing 45 passes. Yeah, a game, and so. it, it, it's clear Stefanski knows where the strength in this team lies, unlike our coach last year. Yep. Let's talk about Nick Foles uh, the Bears really quickly. Mitch Trubisky got benched in the middle of that game. <laughs> Nick Foles comes Big back. Big Nick. And, yeah, and the, and the and the Falcons just do what they normally do. You know, they they collapse. They're up sixteen. They end up losing that game. On um, the Bears come back and win it in fa- in kind of heroic fashion. And you know, it's 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 kind of what we expected when Nick Foles got signed by Chicago. Everyone's yeah. like, "There's no way. How is Trubisky going to beat out Nick Foles over the season? There's no way that's going to happen." Yeah, it didn't seem like he, they did enough. Nick Foles didn't do enough in preseason for them to take the job away from Krabisky, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the organization understood this, right? They had to give Nick his shot. I mean, Krabisky his shot. Mm-hmm. And this has almost played out perfectly for them, right? They gave him his chance. Nick came in and the whole offense changed. And for my fantasy team, mm-hmm. everything changed as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. But, yeah. I, yeah. That And that's, you know, at the end of the day, when we were just talking about Baker and quarterbacks, you got a special quarterback that can kind of, you know, utilize your talent. You're talking about Allen Robinson being underutilized, Anthony Miller being underutilized, David Montgomery being underutilized. All of a sudden you bring in Nick Foles and everybody's now exploding. It's not that there's no, there's no talent difference amongst those guys. It literally is the quarterback. So um, he's now the starter moving forward. And I think indefinitely, if he stays healthy, he's going to be the starter. We'll see what happens with Trubisky. But I think a lot of people knew at the time that they drafted Trubisky, that that was a reach and that they shouldn't have, have drafted yeah. him. And there are other quarterbacks. Yeah. Oh We're my both God. Regretting. The Browns and Bears are regretting a lot. Um, right right, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially, but especially the Bears, because yeah. that, that, that was a terrible decision. I terrible mean, geez. decision. Geez, geez, geez. So, so, so what about Atlanta? What, what are your thoughts <laughs> on the Falcons? Because it seems like this choke reputation is deserved. Right. And yeah, and their it's, coach, their coach, I don't know if he should still have a job. I mean, it's kind of like the doc rivers thing, right? It's like, you like the guy, the players right. like the guy, but you know, when things keep kind of keep happening, it's like, you got to go, you know, it, the culture is not, you know, you talk about culture with Zach, the culture is not what it needs to be. That is not a winning culture. Yeah. And um, you know, so it, it, it and Maddie ice, you know, they had injuries. They had a bunch of injuries. Julio was out. Um, Gage got hurt in the middle of that game. You know, 
they have injuries. Their, their defense really isn't that good. I think they have Tank was out. I think you know there's they they have some injuries, but it's it just it's seems culture. like Matt Matt Ryan is really good except for when it matters, right? He had an opportunity at the a really good opportunity at the end of that game to save the franchise. And when you're paid the way that he is, that's always been my issue with him. He's great, yeah. he puts up numbers, but it doesn't seem like he has that. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that it thing. And also, I mean, again, I'm not giving excuses, but when Julio's out and your two of your top two receivers are out, yeah. one of them gets hurt in game. And Gurley's kind of a shell of himself in a lot of the ways. Bears defense is good. Right? Bears defense is good. Um, momentum shifts, all that type of stuff. It's just, it's hard. But again, I think it comes more down to culture. I mean, the Falcons did make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though they lost in dramatic fashion, they did make it there. So they are a team that can. Yeah, they can do something. They're one of the know? best offensive teams in the NFL, obviously. Yeah. Right. All right, quick, quick couple things on um, kind of current events. Trump's tax returns, Amy Coney Barrett, I'm kind of going to couch both of those things together. In your mind, what are the things that stood out or stand out to you about it, or do you not care about either one of them? I mean, obviously I care about Trump's tax returns because we don't want to be lied to in the public. And I think we've mm-hmm. talked about this ad nauseum about Trump not being who he presents himself to be. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, big story to me. Yes. And financially, we have this dichotomy in our culture, right? Like we have people yelling at immigrants because they don't pay taxes or, you know, pe- poor people because they're taking from 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 some pie that we think is, is being impacted by the small amount they're taking. But in the, on the other side, we glorify these really rich people who – shrewdly and even illegally sometimes cut corners that don't need to be cut. And Trump is the greatest example of that. He's a failed businessman. He he takes advantage of the credit system in this country mm-hmm. um, to create advantages for himself and his family that I think we have to address. Like if he's the president of the U.S., he can't represent something that he isn't. Right. Well, that's, and I think that's the, to me, that's the bigger story. I, a lot of people are talking about the 700 he paid in taxes. And I think that that's something that's egregious, right? For the amount of money that you claim to generate. Uh, and that is something that could be investigated, right? That could be audited and we could find out that it was completely illegitimate, right? So, yeah. you know, but I think the bigger story is, is he's not who he represented himself to be. He's in tremendous amounts of debt, owes a lot of different people, makes him, that makes him susceptible to, yes. um, to, you know, foreign powers and a lot of other, other types of things. I think to me, that is the story that I think people should be talking about more than the $700 that he paid. Yeah, who cares about that? Yeah. I mean, he, people are trying to, people are, and, yeah. And, and everybody's trying to figure out a way to have good accountants and get yeah. deductions and all that type of stuff. So that's not unique to him. Um, but it is unique, but it is, it does, it is when you're the president. The yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It, it, it opens you up to influence. And we've seen examples that kind of point to, is this guy compromised through his presidency? And that's what we need to address. This might not even be true. It hasn't been verified yet, right? The New mm-hmm. York Times data. So, but that's yeah. important. And there's supposedly some more stuff coming out. And the too. Supreme Court justice thing, I would, I would defer to you. I've read a little bit about this lady, and it's yeah, I don't have much to say about it except for like just I don't. The process to me doesn't seem like it should be happening now, and they're trying to fast track the process. And um, even if that's your nominee, which you're entitled to have. Um, it's it's just I don't I don't feel like the process should be happening now, and I don't really have much more to say about it than if the if you're the Democrats fight right and just yeah. and fight and 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 that's it. We don't have any say in that, so I don't, I don't want to pass us a stimulus before you before you uh, 
<laughs> right, embedded seriously. Your own, please. So. And I, a couple um, before we get to our uh, our last thing, which is our fantasy showdown recap, which I'm sure people are wondering. Let's let's get to a quick protect black women segment. I think uh, Tory Lanez dropped an album in the middle of a controversy with Megan Thee Stallion. He kind of basically wrapped his way through his story about what happened, called out anybody who had called him out, um, dissed so many people, you know, tried to make a, uh, in some ways, a mockery of, of what kind of happened. To me, uh, I thought it was corny. Um, I thought, you know, I thought that he needs to be called out for what he did and he needs to, I mean, he's entitled to his own side, right? And his own defense as a lawyer. But I think it's pretty clear that he, um, he, at least from what I've seen, that he did what he said he did. And that's, that's it's, it's, it's kind of, whack to see him kind of go out this way yeah yeah i mean obviously people who are close to him should be concerned for him because it's it's so out of there right like it's so Mm. irrational for him to be doing this and then also to try to capitalize on it and say i'm going to tell my side of the story and then drop a surprise album yeah he's a talent and it goes back to what we say we cannot deny tory lanes is a very talented artist Mm -hmm. Um, and he deserves his place in the landscape of music but when you do certain things to compromise or sacrifice or not respect the culture and mm-hmm. not respect people, you do deserve consequences. And I think he does deserve to pay some consequences for not only what he did, but for how he's handled it. Yeah. And then Brianna Taylor, you know, that that story is very sad, particularly just the circumstances surrounding how she died are sad, regardless of what you believe about what happened or shouldn't have happened. But the thing that's the thing that's actually more um the bigger story to me in terms of just the fact that there are no charges is actually what Daniel Cameron, the attorney general, actually presented to the grand jury. And he actually essentially admitted that he didn't present any evidence um, to in Breonna Taylor's uh, defense. So now that's a big story right now. And um, so we'll see how that's going to play out. I think there's going to be pressure for him to probably present a new case to the grand jury. And there's actually a grand juror that came out and is actually speaking out against this, which you don't really see happen a lot. So I think that it was a miscarriage of justice in terms of uh, not just the result, but the process. And so I'm interested that, in seeing how this plays out. That's the question that I have for you in these cases in terms of what seems so obvious to us in the public, right? Mm-hmm. What actually goes through, what is it that's preventing these cases from indictments? Because yeah. to us on the outside, the average citizen, it's like they shot an innocent bystander, right? And but that's never what happened specifically with police. If you could just give a, some quick color on that. A couple of things. I mean, so they say like a prosecutor can indict it, indict a ham sandwich. That's the joke kind of within law and criminal. I'm not a criminal lawyer, so I don't tend to have all of the answers, but there's certain things that I do understand. Uh, if you want to get an indictment, you can get an indictment. It's very easy. You can present evidence in a way to where the charges are being brought, right? And charges being brought does not mean that there's going to be a conviction ultimately. Um, but it's that simple, you know, it's not hard to get an indictment. Um, so, but how you present the evidence and you get, you have leeway in determining what evidence it is that you present will determine whether or not a grand jury comes back with an indictment. So if you go in there with the goal to say, I'm not really trying to get an indictment, but I want to make it look like I'm doing the process, then you can do that. And that's essentially what it is that he did. And ultimately, um, you know, it's kind of one of those scary things about the justice system. Uh, just if you look at that type of power, right? So you talk about millions of people who are behind this cause, but then you have this one person that has that type of power to determine how they present this case to random individuals, and that can determine the outcome. Uh, so it's 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 a system that can work if it works correctly, right? Be, to be judged by your peers, so to speak. 
but it can also be abused. So yeah, and it's also a political position, right? They are elected. The prosecutor is elected. So he's that alone to me makes this thing hard for him to be non-biased. Yeah. So again, I think hopefully we'll we'll this story I don't think is over. Um, because like I said, you rarely hear a grand juror come out uh like that. Um so we'll see what we'll see what ends up happening. But either okay. way, rest in peace to Brianna Taylor. Yes. And the last thing is our fantasy showdown recap. V bested me again. I feel like every time we talk about <laughs> fantasy football, V is beating me. Um, you know, he beat me by 14. I have uh no excuses. It was just a you know like some of my guys didn't really perform. Deontay Johnson got hurt in the middle of the game, which kind of sucked. And uh yeah, it, it is yeah, what it is. I'm one and two now. I mean, like I said, you know, I never feel great when a win happens with an injury like that mid-game. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I want to take a moment to talk about that. Like, I don't know what the solution is, right? Like when players, I just, it just doesn't feel right to me that there's no real solution for when you, like you lost Deontay Johnson in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. It's one thing post-production, but pre-production, like if you can preset like who you're, alternate is going to be at that position beforehand yeah. if, if an injury happens i just feel like that's an improvement in fantasy football that can be made maybe but also it's kind of like the real games if you lose you know the steelers also lost deontay johnson and they had the yeah the game goes on you play with what you got you know and you're minus that guy yeah, so it's kind of like true. it that's just true. it just kind of is what it is i think you know that maybe the bigger question is if they're like a healthy scratch at like one o'clock you know what i mean and they didn't tell you like you yeah. should be able, you should be able to adjust your lineup. Those type of things I think could potentially be improved. But if a guy gets hurt in game, he gets hurt in game. And for me, it's unfortunate because Deontay to me is my like he's your wide receiver the, one. He's my, yeah, he's like my player. Especially with Baker throwing the ball down the back. <laughs> right. I can expect that he can get me 14 points, but I, it's not an excuse. My other guys didn't perform. You know, I didn't start Singletary, um, which would have helped at least get me closer. Butker missed a field goal and an extra point, which he never does. I mean, it was just it was just one of those games. So. Congrats on the win. Um, you're two and one. I'm one and two, but uh, long season ahead of us. Hopefully, over. hopefully we'll see what happens with this situation with the Titans and, and Vikings. Exactly. All right. That's all we have for news and notes. You listen to Pilot Boys Podcast. Love the Pilot Boys Podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast show us some love today that's all we have for today's show big thanks to our guests mick and coach zach smith thanks to everybody for listening don't forget sharing is caring subscribe to the pilot boys podcast on apple spotify patreon and youtube and please follow us on social media at pilot boys pod on twitter and at pilot boys podcast on instagram and facebook and follow the hosts on twitter i am at mechadon music and v is fs swant and don't forget to grab some pilot boys wristbands and face masks at shop.pilotboys.com And always remember, be you, you as fly. Pilot boys out!